pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. And it is just an absolutely beautiful morning out there. Whatever you're going to uh, be doing, I certainly hope you get out early and do it. It's, it's just, you know, this is a time of year that it is just makes you feel good to get up in the morning, get out, take a deep breath, and just enjoy. Looks like we're going to talk to Doug and Rich and Ted and Thomas. Let's just get started. Uh, Doug is up first. Good morning, Doug. Hi. Good morning, Bob. Yes, good morning, uh, sir. Everything you... Hello, you hear me? Yes, sir. Just fine. Oh, good. I, I did out to everything you just said. It's a gorgeous morning, and uh, it's a morning where I'm trying to figure out... Uh, it's an argument, but a decision of when should I be planting blue bonnet from seed anytime now i would get it done within the next 30 days because the blue bonnets need to sprout and come up and make that little rosette of leaves which is uh the first stage of their biennial life but they need to come up absorb lots of energy and get ready to put up the flowers a little bit later next spring so this afternoon if you're or this morning (laughs) whenever you feel like getting outside it's a great time to sow blue bonnet seeds um, I, I do that. you know, I might give them a yeah. little soak in garret juice or seaweed, something like that. It'll speed up your germination a little bit, but uh, this is a perfect time to get it done. Okay, soaking, uh, uh, is that for um, hours or days? Blue bonnets are a pretty hard seed. Uh, I'd probably give them about a 30-minute soak. Oh, okay, 30-minute soak, garret juice, and then uh, once they're once they're sown, I understand not to not to step on them, not to uh, step them into the ground, but just uh, sow them out and into uh, into uh, furled uh, ground. And then, uh, uh, what should I uh, what should I treat them with for some type of? Uh, um, you know, it doesn't really matter whether you step on them or not. I think if you were going to do one thing beforehand, if there's much like dead grass clippings or debris of any sort on the surface of the ground, rake that off. The important thing with blue bonnet says with all wildflowers is just the seed needs to make good contact with the ground underneath. And mm-hmm. um, you can throw the seed out. You can walk on it. You can drive on it. I wouldn't necessarily cover it, but uh just do kind of what mother nature does and uh they should it, if we get a little bit of rain it'll speed up the sprouting if you are in an area where you can water you can certainly get them up and growing a little bit more quickly if you'll you know water them every few days once they're up and growing they're pretty much self-sufficient unless we go for two or three weeks without rain in which case it would be good to give them a little bit of supplemental water Okay, fantastic. So, Gary Juice, and then um, and then let the sun do its thing. Well, let thank the you, Bob. Sun I do its thing. Uh, blue bonnets are legumes, which means they can more or less make their own fertilizer. Their roots have little nodules that contain bacteria, which uh, take the nitrogen from the air and convert it into a nitrogen source for the blue bonnets. Uh, if you want to throw a little organic fertilizer out, you certainly can. But blue bonnets are pretty self-sufficient, which is probably one of the one of the many reasons that they're our state flower. They're they're like most Texans; they're pretty darn self-sufficient and proud of it. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, I really appreciate the, the knowledge, Bob, and uh, we're going to get out and do that this morning. Thank you. Very good. Well, I appreciate the call, Doug. You have a wonderful weekend. And uh, call again whenever you can. And let's see, I believe Rich is up next. Good morning, Rich. Thank you very much, Bob. My pleasure. Hi. Thank you for calling. Now, my question is compost tea. Uh, I want to use some for the garden. I want to use some to hurt some fire mounds. Okay. And how I should dilute it. Is And this is, uh, you're making your own compost tea? Yes, sir. I just got some top shelf by um, Earth, New Earth. Okay, you got some top shelf New Earth compost, and uh, well, and and you do uh, know the difference in compost tea and compost leachate. Compost leachate is where you just soak your compost in water for a while. If I were spraying that around, I'd mix it at the rate of maybe oh three or four parts water to one part compost leachate. Compost tea is where you actually brew it in effect you put a little air stone and a little air pump and uh, let it bubble for 24 hours or so you may also want to add a small amount of liquid seaweed small amount of fish emulsion maybe a small amount of very small amount of molasses uh, compost tea is actually a you know something that you brew and it's ideally ready in 12 to 18 hours and if you're using true compost tea then you want to dilute it about 10 to 1 or 20 to 1 with water it goes a lot further because basically what you're doing in in brewing is just increasing the number of microbes and there are many many times over bacteria especially can have a new generation every six or eight minutes so if you brewed it for you know a few hours you've probably got a thousand times more microbes in the compost tea than you would have in the compost leachate and consequently you can dilute it a whole lot further if that makes sense yeah, I have a little fish tank pump, and I'm going to uh, bubble it. Uh, would that be stronger and hurt the fire ants more? The fire ants, it will, uh, you know, the more bacteria you have going in there, the more it's going to hurt the fire ants. So, yes, that absolutely, uh, all the different things that compost tea does uh, will be enhanced uh, if you if you do bubble it for 12 to 18 hours, maximum time to bubble it is probably about 24 to 30 hours. After that, it starts diminishing in quality instead of increasing. So uh, if you compost tea, if you're, if you're just starting it this morning, tomorrow morning will be the time to put it out. If you started it yesterday, you've got a good afternoon's work going. And my question, uh, just be, when the compost tea is finished, just before I fly it to the ant mounds, should I add molasses? It probably would help. Um, it's, you know, the fire ants don't like molasses. The microbes love molasses. And killing fire ant mounds with compost tea is a little bit slower process. I mean, if you want if you want uh, fire ants dead almost instantly, you can do it with your orange oil and water or something like that. Compost tea will discourage them a great deal, but it may be a couple of weeks before you see a lot of real results from it. So don't be expecting overnight results 
results from treating compo- uh, fire ants with compost tea, but it will certainly make them uncomfortable and they will either move on or will die out. And yes, adding a little bit of molasses is fine, but do it at the last minute, so to speak, is really an excellent question. Uh, what molasses does is it increases the microbial activity a great, great deal, and you don't want to put too much in in the brewing process. Just a little bit is fine when you first start, but if you add too much molasses, then the microbes reproduce so quickly they use up the oxygen in the water, and your little fish tank pump can't keep up with getting enough oxygen into the water, and consequently uh, you you have some die-off on the microbes. So you want to add your compost tea last thing so that it doesn't overstimulate the tea before you get it out and uh, and applied. All right, uh, Chris tells me the line dropped off there, so call back if you've got more questions. In the meantime, I believe it's Ted's turn. Good morning, Ted. Good morning, Bob. How morning, are things sir. this morning? Everything Good. is just lovely looking out this window. It's a beautiful day. Bob, I've got a few graspers in a coastal Bermuda hayfield. Okay. And I've got a, a lot of hay left on it that is frankly not going to be very good quality and I don't need it so I'm considering burning it this winter will that help me with my graspers absolutely yeah it will be most a good hot help fire you. what's that now it would be a very good hot fire yep and that's that's what you need to burn up the burrs you know Range okay. range fire is bad. Control burns are wonderful for the soil, for weed control, for many, many different purposes. So unless you have experience, you probably want to get, uh, you know, somebody from NRCS or something like that to kind of look over your shoulder. <laughs> and much as I hate no. to say it, always put your volunteer fire department on notice. Just when I'm burning brush piles, my first phone call goes to uh, the dispatch center in Kendall County because they want to know what you're doing and where it is. So when people start calling the smoke in, they can say, well, that, that fire's under control, so don't worry about it. But uh, no, range uh, range yeah. burning is, uh, you know, at the proper time, proper weather conditions, is certainly one of the best things you can do. I, I don't think it's something that really benefits in a yearly basis, but uh, if you have you know enough, gra- enough grass, if you have enough fuel to get a really hot fire going, uh, you'll pretty much eliminate the grass burrs. Oh, great. Okay. And uh, you say the proper timing. What it, is your opinion of the proper timing? You... January? You... You know, the the grass burrs, some of them have already been shed. Some of them are still upright. I would go by the condition of the range. Um, I, you're going you're gonna to do a pretty good job on the burrs whenever you burn. But, uh, you know, the fire managers will tell you um, you, you want to look real carefully at it and see when your fuel is at a good point to burn well but not... Um, you know, not burn uncontrollably. You'll pick a day with fairly high humidity. So I would go more by the burning condition than necessarily by the uh, by the grass burrs. Okay, but say in the month of January or just after we have a good frost, a killing frost? or Probably just as soon as we have a killing frost to be a real good time to do it. Okay, okay, I see. But I, then I'll I'll go by the conditions after that. Yes, sir. Very good. Thank you. Have a great day. You do the same, Ted. Appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. Yes. All right. 
Guess I better get a little break in here. Thomas, you'll be up momentarily, but I get to talk about another of my good friends, and that's Mr. Stuart Frankie over at Medina Agriculture. And yes, I will talk a little bit about Stuart. He's just one of the, he just a, is a good man for all he has done, well, for, for mankind and, of course, for the agricultural industry, because he has really set the standard for working with nature. In fact, it started out a long time before Stuart's time when uh, Medina was first started, and the whole idea behind it was just to improve the soil, to increase the microbial life in the soil, to soften the soil, to make the soil the absolute best possible for growing crops, growing hay, or for just, uh, you know, growing, growing good rangeland grasses. And, of course, that's what's evolved into Medina agriculture now. Medina makes so many fine products, both to help the big farmer and rancher and to help uh, homeowners as well. This is a time of year to get your fall fertilizer on. And don't fall for the gimmicks of the synthetic fertilizer, guys. That tell you you have to use something that says winterizer. Medina's Growing Green is a great winterizer fertilizer. It is a great fertilizer to use 365 days a year, but it doesn't do any good in the bag. This would be a real good time to get out and get it spread around. You don't even have to worry about watering it in. It does not burn. It is all natural. It is certified organic and every plant out there will really, really appreciate it. Also a great time to be putting out the Medina Soil Activator to get that soil started on softening it up and increasing the microbial activity. And of course Medina makes those wonderful liquid fertilizers as well, the Has to Grow products and the new uh, Medina Fish Blend. That stuff is just almost magical with what it does for plants. So today as you're looking for something good to do outside, think about Medina. You're buying good quality products from really good people that really work. <laughs> Medina Ag. All right, back to gardening and back to phone calls. Going to be Thomas and Susan and Mike and H.A. And Thomas is first. Good morning, Thomas. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Have you ever, uh, are you familiar with an old fellow by the name of uh, Alan Savoy? Alan Savory. Savory, okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I know of Alan and his work. He's kind of a controversial character. He's former game ranger. Uh, maybe in Nairobi or something like that, but uh, he has written extensively about range management and has uh, lots of experience there. Yeah, I saw, I saw that on the Internet, and I thought about you because he uh, he believes in running more cattle <laughs> to save the, the grasslands and, and to keep the deserts from encroaching you know, mm-hmm. on the and uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. Well, it is interesting, and he is a big supporter of what we uh, call rotational grazing. And, uh, you know, whether it's a few thousand acres or whether it's a few acres, the, uh, the modern farmer, grass farmer, whether he's running cattle or sheep or horses or whatever else, uh, you can get a lot more benefit and keep your grassland in a lot better shape uh, if you do what some ranchers call flash grazing. You put your you put your stock on one area and uh, it's and and you move them around regularly. And the movement is not based on how much they have eaten the grass in a given area. It's based on how the grass is in the next little paddock or next pasture. But uh, rotational grazing uh, has really 
made it possible for good livestock managers to increase the number of uh, animals they have. It's really gotten to where it can help put the land back in better shape. Uh, between Allen and between what Acres USA has done with education over the past few years, uh, uh, the modern-day grass farmer, which is what all of us that run run domestic animals are, uh, have learned a lot about uh, rotational grazing, and that, that's one of the big things that Allen Savory promoted. He's very controversial because early on he did not feel that way, and he was responsible for killing a huge number of elephants and other, you know, game animals in Africa pretty much in a wasteful fashion, but I think he saw the light and uh, improved his techniques and turned around to do a lot of good things for the world. Right, that's, uh, that's, anyway, that's pretty interesting. I just wanted, you know, I thought about you right away. I thought, I'd wonder if you, you know, was familiar with him or not. Yeah, well, and I appreciate that, and, uh, uh, you know, if you he's he's an interesting person to read, but if you don't already subscribe to the Acres USA magazine, uh, I think you would find it. Even though even though you're not a rancher at this point in life, uh, it it will go into much more detail about some of the policies that he helped get started, and it's a good thing for everyone to know. I mean, even if you're even if you're never going to raise a cow in your life, it'll help you understand a lot of things going on in the environment and help you cut through a lot of the BS we hear from Washington about cows and things like that, but we won't go down that road. I'll leave that for, you know, Trey and Sean and Jack and some of those guys can talk politics. I'll, I'll stick to the environment. Right. <laughs> okay, Bob. Well, thanks, thanks for being there. It's always a pleasure, Thomas. Thank you for being there this morning. I always enjoy talking to you. Uh, Susan is going to be up next. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Off to a very good start. It's an absolutely beautiful morning out there. <laughs> I hear that noise back there. Um, I have a question. We have a house uh, just south of Fort Worth. Okay. That we don't we don't have the benefit of Sam Sitterly to point out things in our yard that okay. can be addressed with organics. Mm-hmm. But we have. I was up there this week or this past week, and we have large brown areas that just you can we have Bermuda in the backyard full sun all the time and large brown area that you can just pull them off and there's there's the dirt so um two questions first of all how do I need to approach that and second of all I'm having a terrible time finding organic products near our house what you might do on the organic products is, uh, if you haven't already done so, go to Howard Garrett's website, dirtdoctor.com. You're right up mm-hmm. in Howard's backyard, and I believe he keeps a list going of nurseries in the area you know, that, that will stock more organic products. And um, if you don't find that, send him an email. Send an email to info at dirtdoctor.com. Say, hey, I'm here south of Fort Worth. Where am I going to you know, have the best luck in finding you know, the kind of things that we want to use? And either Doug or Howard will get back to you with that. So that will, that'll, mm-hmm. I know there's some good sources up there. In fact, one of the biggest distributors of organic products is right there in Fort Worth. So uh, uh, I personally, it's been a while since I've uh, been up and and really looked around Fort Worth very much. But I know we've got some nurseries up that are there that are carrying things. Uh, Bermuda, of course, as long as it's a sunny area, is one of the most resilient grasses out there. It's hard to say, you know, what has happened, whether it's... uh, 
you know, whether you've had a grubworm issue, grubs can get after Bermuda just as they do after St. Augustine, or whether it's something else. But Bermuda, it just isn't susceptible to a lot of diseases. And you can lose a lot of Bermuda. And when the hot weather returns, the three things that Bermuda absolutely loves are bright sun, hot temperatures, and regular fertilizing. Well, I guess we need to throw water in there, a fourth thing. So even if your Mm -hmm. Bermuda has thinned out, you should certainly be able to get it uh, reestablished very quickly in the spring. Not the time of year to put more Bermuda seed out. If you want to thicken it up by adding some more seed, getting some more plants going, that we will do after the soil gets really warm, probably about May or so. If you just want to avoid mud and want to see something green, this is certainly a good time that you can overseed lightly. We always, uh, when overseeding, we use a lot less seed than we do when we're covering up bare ground. But if you want to overseed lightly with the rye for the winter months just to help hold the soil and to have a green lawn instead of a brown lawn, uh, this would be a great time to do that. Well, interesting. I mean, it's been very thick and very, we've only owned this house for about a year. Okay. And um, it's been really thick and it's been, it's been fine, but then there's three specific spots that very well defined. So we're not, I guess what led to that is we're not combating mud or Thin okay. grass overall, okay. or anything. How big yeah, are these um, spots, Susan? I would say they are about three feet with an irregular diameter. Can you have an irregular diameter? But maybe two and feet. They're not gigantic. Is this uh, front yard or backyard? Backyard. Okay. And do you have dogs up there? No. Hmm. It's it's odd, you know. It's uh, when I see you know smaller spots, depending on the size of the dog, from six inches to eighteen inches in diameter in the hot summer months. Uh, just the dog urine will certainly do that. But it's odd uh, that you would have something there. Like I say, they're just not many diseases i can't really think of any diseases that are going to impact bermuda that way you could have you know a, just some very localized grubworm damage which is certainly possible if the june bugs can't find a saint augustine lawn to go after they will you know go after bermuda but at this point they're beyond their feeding stage so i'm not going to tell you that it's important to put down beneficial nematodes at this point it would be a good idea to fertilize go ahead and get a good organic fertilizer on for the fall and winter months and uh, if it gets dry and if you're able to water it every two three weeks through the winter months but i rather than guess at what caused the dead spots i would just take comfort in knowing that that bermuda will fill it in back back in very quickly when it starts growing in the spring okay because i i mean there was carryover from the previous owners with a contract on a just a yard fertilizing thing that doesn't offer an organic option of course but um okay so i will discontinue that and we'll find where to get organic products up there and start well again reach out to howard uh if you don't find what you're looking for on dirtdoctor.com.com if they have been using synthetic products it's very very possible in fact even likely that they spill something on a spot like that and just treat a burn spot of dead grass but over time it will certainly mitigate itself i don't think it's a serious concern but if you've had one of these yard 
services and we won't go by we won't go by the names because we all know who they are but uh they many times create more problems than they solve so that could easily have something to do with it you get it switched over to okay. organics and uh find yourself a good supplier or make that periodic trip back down here and you know where you can find plenty of good organic products in this area well, I was I was going to say I'm headed back up on Sunday and here we are in Garden Ridge I might just wander down and fill up our truck with things. Well, they, I know some people that would be real happy to see you, uh, whether you yeah, turned east to Phoenix or whether you uh, turned west to a uh, a more familiar place where I happen to be sitting right now. Uh, above yeah. all, just uh, enjoy this beautiful day and let us help you any way we can. Okay, I appreciate it. My pleasure, Susan. I appreciate the call. Have a wonderful day and right. I thank you. Okay, bye. All right, once again, need to pause and talk about one of the people that makes this show possible. And right now, it's my good friends over at Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. They really are good people. Uh, you know, Tommy and Rex and all the crew over there, they just they just take great pleasure in installing the best roofs in the business, and they stand behind their work. It's easy for them to do because they never have any problems. And kind of man that Tommy is, you know, he used to work for another fella here and uh, before he owned Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. And even after he left the previous company and formed his own, he went back under no obligation, went back and took care of issues that might have come up on roofs that he had installed in the past. And uh, just the kind of person who just is has a good work ethic and is a very moral character and really always does the right thing. And, you know, just like my friends at Medina and many other places, I love recommending good people who do quality work. And not only uh, are they just good people, but I truly believe that a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof is the best roof in the industry. They give you this best warranty. They never have to do anything. I've had one of their roofs in my home right at about 20 years now. Never called them even once. We've had a roof on Shades of Green from Southwest Metal Roofing Systems for a lot of years now. Been through big hail and high winds. Only time we called them was when a truck backed into the building and did a little bit of damage, which they fixed very promptly. If you want the best roof in the business, if you want a good-looking roof, if you want a roof that's going to save you money on your insurance bill, I got 2% right off the top of my insurance bill just because I had one of the roofs on my home. If you want a roof that's going to save you money every month on your energy bill, you just need a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof. And you have so many choices, not only in color of roofs, but in the actual style of the material. If you don't like standing seam, they have roofs of the same great metal, but look like ceramic tile or slate or shake shingles. It's just a lot of options, and all of them are very, very tough quality when it comes to Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. Learn more, just give them a call, 210-822-6868. That's 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. Do your pets have the same energy they used to? Do they have problems with itching, scratching, a dull coat, or goopy ears? Then your pets need Dynavite. N-O-V-I-T-E.com. For over 20 years, pet owners have trusted Dynavite to supplement their pet's diet. We started Dynavite and in our first box, we noticed a difference. Dynavite is an all-natural daily supplement made from whole foods that helps support your pet's immune system, digestion, skin, and coat. Within three weeks, he's not scratching and itching, and he's an all-around happier dog. Today's commercial pet foods are processed at high temperatures, which bakes out all the essential goodness. These processed foods can lack the essential vitamins, enzymes, and probiotics 
probiotics that contribute to overall good health. Adding a scoop of Dynavite to your pet's food bowl is the answer. If you love your pets as much as I do, you'll want to do what's best for them, to live long, healthy, happy lives. I have two cats and two dogs. All four of them are on the Dynavite. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Tina, you're my trusted GM, and your hair looks fantastic. What do you need? I've thought of some genius catchphrases for the restaurant. That's a long list, Julian. <clears throat> How about Julian's? Pizza slices the size of your head. Nah. Julian's. Just Julian's. That's kind of taken already. Julian's. After lunch, you'll have to buy bigger pants. Uh-uh. Julian's. Napkins. You're going to need them. You always talk about the memories that people make at Julian's Italian Pizzeria and Kitchen. Yep. And how Julian's is all about delicious Italian food and outstanding service. Absolutely. It's like people come here and make memories one pizza slice at a time. I've got it. Julian's. Making memories one slice at a time. I don't know how I come up with these things. Now hiring all positions. Apply at any Julian's restaurants. There's one near you. More details online and Facebook. Julian's Pizzeria and Italian Kitchen. Let's eat! Napa know-how. Right now, a five-quart jug of Napa full synthetic motor oil is only $19.99. It's the hottest deal of the year for the coldest time of the year. So if you're in your car right now, there's no need to turn on the heat. I'm about to read this sizzler again. That's Napa Full Synthetic for a hot $19.99. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating locations does not include taxes and fees. Advertised sale price not available in some states. Offer ends 12 21 Hello, Mrs. Koontz. It's the back left tire of your RV calling. Wanted to give you a heads up that I'm going to blow out on the highway later today. Wait, what? Uh, says here I'm going to burst in the middle of rush hour. Well, can we reschedule? Sorry, our policy states that once we're scheduled to burst, we have to. We really pride ourselves on our commitment to blowouts. RV owners can't schedule when things go wrong on the road. That's why there's Progressive, a leader in RV insurance. Do you want a text confirmation when I burst? Uh, think I'll notice. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. There's never any FOMO with the iHeart radio app you won't ever have to miss out on your favorite shows and contests with this radio station again radio 24 7 365 we're here when you want us stay connected and listen anywhere when you download the free iHeartRadio app south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Mike and AJ and Aaron and Angie, and Mike is first. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Uh, I have three uh, crepe myrtles. Uh, the oldest one of the three is um, kind of acting up on me. I don't understand it. Uh, it's the shortest of the three. Uh, okay. You know, we've had some halfway decent rains down here. I've been using, you know, has to grow on it and all kinds of other goodies. Um, and uh, maybe three feet tall, while the other ones are already, you know, four feet tall. Okay. And uh, but after the, I, I got the other two after the freeze. Um, mm-hmm. So this one kind of, you know, it appeared like it had died on me, but I was able to bring it back. Okay. Uh, it is it is uh, shooting out some new green uh, uh, stems and, and leaves. Uh, so you know, I know it's still kicking, but <laughs> okay. uh, as far as it, as far as it, you know, just taking off and, and shooting up to catch up to the other guys, uh, 
it ain't happening. I'm trying to figure out, well, what the heck am I, you know, what, what, could I, what more can I do to get it to, to take off on me? I, it's probably just going to be a matter of patience. You know, it got set back and uh, the others didn't. It's kind of like you gave somebody a half-mile head start in a race. Sometimes you can catch right. up to them, but if they can run as fast as you can, <laughs> you're, you're you're just not going to catch up. And uh, uh, this crepe myrtle probably is, uh, you know, if, if the leaf color is good, the new leaves that have come out, the new stems yes. that have come out are nice and dark green and everything. Yes. yes. I, I, again, you just gave the other two, uh, or they, they got their own head start when number three suffered more freeze damage than they did. So... I I don't know that I want to stunt the other two. I mean, you could always withhold the fertilizer from them and fertilize number three more and give it a little bit of an advantage to catch up, but I would tend to just treat them all well, and when you want to even things up, uh, pruning shares is the way that I would do it. And, of course, you know, early spring is the best time to do that, but it doesn't sound to me like you have a problem. It just sounds to me like you have a crepe myrtle that got a little bit behind with the uh, super deep freeze last February worry and uh it's it's moving along as it should but the other guys just got a got a head start on it okie dokie well um what gave me hope was finally seeing you know it shooting out some new uh oh yeah yeah and it will grow up to be it, it will grow up to be you know certainly as good a plant as the other two or all three of them the same variety yes Okay, then yes, um, I mean you're you're in good shape. It just for whatever reason, probably something happened to it before you even got it. May have made it a little bit more susceptible to the cold. But uh, the fact that it's putting on this new growth, that it's been through a hot summer as well as uh, the cold last spring, that tells me that uh, it's going to make it just fine. Like I say, it it just got a little behind when the others didn't suffer the same amount of damage, and uh, uh, it, it it will take it a while to catch up eventually it will catch up once they get a little size on them if you want to trim them up uh, even them up a little bit more appearance wise you can do that without causing any problems whatsoever but uh, you're doing it all right just <laughs> tell what you need a little more patience and what is the little boy's prayer dear lord give me patience and please hurry <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i it doesn't sound like okay, you have a problem okay. to me it just sounds like it's going to take a little time for it to catch up Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Mike. All right. Well, we know what Mike's situation was. I wonder what kind of situations AJ is encountering this morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Bob. It sounds like you're in a good place. You're at your place of business and and watching things pop and go, huh? You know, that's... uh, they gave me the choice of going back uh, in broadcasting to the station. They moved us all out when COVID started, and, uh, and and no offense to my wonderful engineers back there, but, you know, I said, let's see, I've got a choice. I can sit here and look out a window at pretty plants and pretty girls, and or I can go back to the studio and sit there and look at some blank walls and uh, look at one of my engineers through a big glass plate. And didn't take me long to decide, you know, this is kind of a nice place to sit and broadcast, so <laughs> I'm glad they've let me do it up to this point. Uh, the puppies are quiet today, and the cats seem to be asleep, so there's not even a whole lot of background noise to uh, um, hey, uh, hey, conflict. Are you closed at the present time, or are you open? Uh, we open at 10 o'clock on Sundays at 9 o'clock other days, so uh, not not open yet unless somebody has a big need. All right. Uh, 
Uh, you were talking a while ago about that orange oil and water for fire ants. What is mm-hmm. the mix on that? If you if you want to see them dead immediately, uh, two to three to four ounces, uh, you can make it as strong as you like. But two ounces per gallon is enough to to wipe them out pretty quickly. Of course, you need to really saturate the mound very very thoroughly. And so, uh, uh, depending on the size of the mound, you made any anywhere from a quart of that mix to a couple of gallons of that mix. But uh, and I like doing it in the afternoon rather than in the morning and here's the reason the the fire ants all those little white larval fire ants that you see when you kick that mound over either intentionally or accidentally the worker ants move all those guys up in the top of the mound when the soil warms up and at night they move them all back way down deeper in the ground whereas the soil is a little bit warmer if you wait until this it warms up to where they brought the next two generations up toward the surface it's a whole lot easier to kill a whole lot more ants at one time and increase your chances of totally wiping the mound out. So I, I wait until early afternoon, except in the summer months when you can do it any time, but uh, I think you just get a higher percentage of the ants along with the little ones when you do that. All right, all right. Now I take a, I got a four-pronged thing here that I scratch through that mound before I put anything on it. Yeah. So Water goes in because if you if you don't water, it has a tendency to run off because of sure. that curved surface there. Right. So that was that's my situation for the morning, and I hope I didn't cause too much of a brain drain with it. Well, you know, it's just uh, it's just an excellent question, and it's an excellent activity, as you well know. Uh, fire ants actually do a couple of good things in the world. Principally, they control ticks. So I don't usually get after them when they're out in my pastures and you know way out in the open. But boy, in my vegetable garden, in my flower beds, in my yard, um, they're not welcome. And uh, I sometimes I use orange oil. I also like if it's inside my greenhouse. I and they try to come up to the brick sometimes. I uh, have used a lot of this product called Mound Drench, which is based on uh, peppermint oil uh, and, and some rosemary oil instead of the orange oil. And it just makes the greenhouse smell a little bit better. But uh, either one of them will work extremely well. The orange oil is certainly economically uh, a very good way to control them because you can kill a lot of fire ants with a relatively small amount of orange oil. So it sounds like that uh, you're going to be able to accomplish your day's work in very short order today and maybe leave a little bit more time for enjoyment. Well, that that could be. That could be, Bobby. I'll I'll see what I can do about that and, and take your advice. Well, just be careful that you don't have too many other people creating situations that you have to deal with, AJ. You get out and have a have a, a wonderful afternoon. If for some reason we don't talk in the next week, I hope you and yours have a wonderful Thanksgiving as well. Same to you, Bobby. Bye. Thank you kindly. Thank you, AJ. Bye. All right, let's see here. I guess I better get my last break of the hour out of the way. Hang on just a minute, Aaron and Angie. You guys will be up in just a second. I get to talk about some other really neat people right now, and it's my new friends at Swift River Pecans. Met them down at the uh, herb market down at the Pearl, and by the way, they're down at the Pearl through the winter season. They're there for their uh, big farmer's market every week, and uh, talk about some people just doing it right in the pecan business and some people offering some standard services and some very unusual services. Standard service, if you're looking for somebody to crack your pecans, Swift River Pecans does an excellent job of that. 
and uh, not too far away. They're actually up uh, up between uh, San Marcos and Luling. But uh, other things that they do, of course, they offer fantastic pecans. They've got, oh gosh, over a thousand trees in their two orchards, many different varieties of pecans. They've won blue ribbons at every county fair they've gone to for the quality of their pecans. And that's a good thing as well. They do one very unusual thing, though, and a very great thing. They harvest downed trees. Uh, they don't go cut live trees but you know pecans eventually they fall over or some of the bottomland trees get washed out they have two sawmills and they create some of the most incredible pecan lumber you've ever seen big pieces of wood that make beautiful mantles you could use this wood for just almost any purpose and if you've never seen well sawn pecan it is a beautiful wood if you're a chef you'd love to know that they uh, create a wonderful pecan oil which just uh, is just one of <laughs> every good chef uses pecan oil in a number of their dishes and swift river pecans well they produce some of the very best out there it's just a really really neat company there's some wonderful videos on their website uh, if you like pecans if you have anything to do with pecans i would go to their website at swiftriverpecans.com and uh, just take a look at everything there and be sure and get down and visit them one of these Saturday mornings down at the Pearl Farmers Market. You're going to find probably the best pecans you've ever eaten. Some really nice people and some really great products from Swift River Pecans. Alright, back to gardening. It's going to be Aaron and Angie and Frank are my next three callers. Good morning, Aaron. Hi, Bob. How are you? Off to a good start. It's a beautiful morning out there. Hope you are as well. It is. It's a gorgeous day, for sure. Uh, hey, I've got another question on orange oil for you. Okay. I've listened to some shows in the past and uh, heard you talk about an orange oil recipe for um, to use as a weed killer. And I didn't write it down, and I was wondering if you could uh, go over that again. Well, it's real simple. It's uh, You want to get strong vinegar. And the orange oil, the orange oil sort of softens up the weed, and then it's the acetic acid and the vinegar that actually kills it. If you're dealing with really soft weeds like winter grass and clover and things like that, you can use just your ordinary grocery store vinegar. A little bit tougher stuff, you would want to get what they call pickling vinegar, which is like a 9% vinegar as opposed to the 3% the regular is. And if you're really fighting tough stuff, then you go to a feed store or a nursery and you get 20% vinegar but in any case the mixture is two ounces of orange oil to uh, a gallon of vinegar to that we add just a little bit of dish soap and a little bit of molasses and it uh, is it's not something you use as a drench you're just going to coat the foliage with it so a gallon of spray goes a long way and like I say you're just you're 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 wasting it if you if you soak the plants with it all you want to do is coat the foliage uh, on a warm day you'll see results in about 15 minutes of orange oil, a gallon of vinegar, plus a little bit of dish soap and molasses. Talking like a couple tablespoons of each? Um, probably, gosh, with the dish soap, probably just a squirt, a couple of tablespoons of molasses would be ideal. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Go kill some weeds. <laughs> and I'll tell you one, one <laughs> right, more thing. One. Just 
just to just to look to the future, Aaron, something that I just learned about this week is a new product out from an organic company that started in Australia uh, that is producing a product that they, I believe the name of it is Boost. And uh, its claim to fame is supposedly it makes the orange oil vinegar mix even more effective. So uh, keep listening. It may be something else that we recommend adding at some point, but I've got to get it, got to be sure that it is non-toxic and uh, try it out for myself before I really start recommending it to you. But uh, uh, what, you're, what, what I just told you is the best we know right now, but this is an ever-changing world when it comes to killing the weeds. So stay, stay tuned for even more information in the future, and you get out and have have a wonderful day. All right. You too, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, next up is Angie. Good morning, Angie. Good morning, Bob. Good it's morning. For another day, I can get up and garden. Yes, indeed. I am having the real trouble getting my spinach seeds to germinate. I've germinated three times, and I'm just getting no results, and I wonder what I'm doing wrong. Are you soaking your seed before you plant it? I did last year. I didn't, and I didn't have a problem. But I guess I need to soak them. So no, I haven't it, soaked them. I I think it really makes a difference. But just a very brief soak, literally just a very few minutes. And uh, I like adding a bit of either seaweed or I think the product called Garrett Juice that Howard Garrett came right. up with. Uh, I think that works even better. Now we're not going to do a long soak. We would do a long soak on a really hard seed like Mount Laurels or uh, Pride of Barbados or something like that. But with uh, mm-hmm. with your spinach. You you know, five to ten minutes is going to be plenty, but I think you'll find that that really, really speeds up the germination. Uh, you do want to bury the spinach seed relatively shallow. Um, you know, right. some seed we may put an inch deep. I'm going to start to put the spinach seed, you know, a quarter of an inch to a half an inch deep. But uh, I, if you're not getting good germination now that the soil's cooling down, try soaking the seed, and I'd be willing to bet you you'll see those things sprout in a hurry. About how long should I um, expect them to, to, like, how patient should I be with before I give up and start again? You know, once the seed that you have soaked, I'm going to expect it to sprout within a week. Um, Otherwise, depending on the weather, it could be two to three weeks before it really starts sprouting. Do you know if you planted the Savoy, the crinkle leaf spinach, or the flat leaf spinach? I planted Bloomsdale, and, and okay. I also planted some smooth caramel, I believe. Okay, the name well, was. then you've got a little bit of both. And uh, um, I, I, you know, if it's not germinating well, it could have gotten planted a little bit too deep, uh, in which case it will ultimately come up. But uh, I, you know, I'd, I'd try soaking a little bit more seed and planting it. And uh, water, you know, enough to keep the soil moist whenever it's dry on the surface water again. We don't want to keep it soggy wet. But uh, there's no reason with the kind of weather we're into now that your spinach shouldn't be germinating pretty quickly for you. I think think that little garret juice soak will make a big difference. Yeah, I need to get another gallon of that. I out of that, but I do have I have everything else. I've has to grow seaweed. But is there something I can use till I get to the? You, you can um, you can use seaweed alone, or if you have any apple cider vinegar, like Bragg's apple yeah. cider vinegar, you don't want to use regular white household distilled vinegar. But if you have a little bit of Bragg's. Uh, 
uh, apple cider vinegar. You could mix a little bit of that with a little bit of seaweed. Put about, oh, probably maybe two teaspoons of vinegar, about two tablespoons of liquid seaweed, and about a quart of water. Uh, that'll be a real good start to a uh, sort of a a homemade garret juice blend uh, would add a few other things if you're using it for other purposes but i think seaweed water and just a little bit of the apple cider vinegar will create a perfect seed starting medium for you perfect thank you i'm i'm off and running i thank you so much for all your help as usual <laughs> <laughs> well as always it's a pleasure talking to you so uh thank you get out and have a wonderful sunday and i know we'll talk again angie thank you all right thank you Bye-bye. Certainly. Goodbye. All right. I think we have time to get Frank in here before the news break. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? Off uh, to a great start. Thank you. My question is, I have uh, all this, like the Burford holly, yes. uh, the Yukon hollies, Japanese boxwood, the mountain laurels, they're all overgrown right now. Is it <laughs> a good time to start using my my uh, cutter and start trimming it? Because you know, I used them to cover some of the concrete, you know, yeah. and now they're um, wild. They're they're beautiful, but um, well, I see all that new sprout, and, and yeah, I'm trying to cut it down. You're, even, you're no. Taking good care of them, but let's put off the pruning for a couple of months. And the reason well, is this, that uh, when you prune, you stimulate new growth. The new growth right. that comes out takes at least three weeks, uh, maybe even a little bit longer, to become cold-hardy. And if you cut now and they start putting on all this tender new growth and then we get our usual January freeze, that would be damaging to the plants. So we want to wait till the plants are as fully dormant as they're going to be, which is typically around the middle of December. We just have to watch the weather to know for sure. But uh, I'd, I'd put off your pruning just a bit, especially on the on the boxwood, I'm sorry, especially on the hollies. But really on all of them. Now, when you do prune, you're going to want to look real carefully. And in the case of your Burford holly especially, you're probably uh-huh. going to want to wait until they're in bloom, which is probably going to be February. And that way you can take out the limbs that have the fewest flowers, leave the limbs that have the most flowers, because that way you'll still get plenty of the beautiful red berries. Uh, on your boxwood, on your uh, uh, your Yopon hollies, that's not really so important. But on your Burfords, the red berries are really a great... Uh, a great addition so we okay. try to prune those while they're in bloom uh the boxwood and the yopon anytime probably from christmas time on it's going to be a great time to get out and do your pruning there i guess i'll just wait until february and do all of them uh that'd be okay right just, that'd just be perfect that'd be okay. perfect uh, and uh get you off the hook for having to do that work today but i think uh, right. the way the weather is find another excuse to get outside and enjoy that's correct South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Back to gardening on a beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to talk to Frank just a little bit more about uh, pruning those Burfords. And it'll be two Johns and Shanna. And, Frank, I don't really recommend doing it with a chainsaw you can if you want to but you need to be sure that that saw is extremely sharp and it's um you know otherwise you end up kind of ripping the branches instead of cutting them cleanly uh they make you know hedge trimmers that uh have uh, like blades that slide back and forth across each other if you're looking for a way to really speed the job up uh those will do it i've actually got a battery powered uh, set of them that uh, came from steel that i use um okay. but 
the other, unless you want to, I mean, if you want to create just a total square shape, you can use something like that. But I just, you know, put on some uh, yeah, good leather gloves little, and prune. Yeah, yeah. I think I let them grow, t- grow too long, too big. Uh, and, yeah, there's some real thick uh, areas there. Uh, yeah, no, I do have one of those steel hatchers, uh, those gas, and it's pretty heavy. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to sharpen the blades. Well, thank you so much, uh, uh, Bob. Appreciate it. You have a great day, sir. Well, it sounds like you're a man who knows how to get the job done. So you yes, get out and enjoy. And I appreciate the call, Frank. Thank you so much, sir. All right. Uh, we've got two Johns. Chris noted to me that one of them is actually down in Goliad, and you're not the first. You'll be the second, John. So, John number one, good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Am I John number one? I, you seem to be. I hear you loud and clear, and you can hear me, so that <laughs> yeah. you, you've got it right. I never never knew how it worked. Well, hey, um, uh, you know, gosh, I've got uh, dichondra uh, growing in my St. Augustine yard, and I, I can't seem to get rid of it. And uh, it, 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 it advances, and it's getting worse. <laughs> Could you uh, help me with that? Stop watering so much. Um, dichondra is usually an issue where um, you've got more water than the St. Augustine needs. This time of year, you probably get by with water in your St. Augustine every two or three weeks one time. In the hot weather, you really should never water St. Augustine more than once a week. And usually when I see a dichondra problem, um, it's where, you know, the, the St. Augustine is getting watered two or three times a week because dichondra is a real water lover. And uh, St. Augustine is actually pretty tolerant of drought. So I doubt that you really need to do a whole lot more than just, uh, I mean, when you water, water thoroughly. But I think if you just quit watering so often, that dichondra is going to die out on its own. And that's, well, that I, would be the... I, 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 yeah, I, yeah, and, and I had others tell me that and and it, it i don't know i mean <laughs> doesn't seem to have made that much of a difference it certainly doesn't get rid of it um is, are there any other solutions or am i just kind of stuck with it well st augustine is our strongest grass out there and if you uh, maybe give your st augustine a little bit more fertilizer perhaps mow a little bit more regularly st augustine will eventually choke it out but uh do you water by hand or do you have a sprinkler system um you know i have a sprinkler system honestly you know we've had so much rain this year that i don't think i I think all through the year i've watered twice i mean we just had you know you know really good rain this year that i but that that condor's kind of been there when it's dry it's when it's wet and it's just, you know, it may be just one of those things that's really difficult. But the, the thing is, it just, it, it, last year I had to dig out a patch in my yard. Yeah. It just, it, it, it got so, so darn much. And digging it out works great, but I got a pretty big yard. I, I can't dig the whole thing out. And, you know, well, here's, it, here's the other way to go, to go after it. And St. Augustine, if we get a heavy, heavy frost, St. Augustine will brown out. A lot of winters, we don't get much yeah. cold weather, and St. Augustine stays green. But certainly last year, <laughs> with the severe cold, the St. Augustine browned out. And it, St. Augustine typically will brown out 
when we get a heavy frost, and yet the dichondra stays green. Once your St. Augustine has gotten brown, you can spray the yard with the vinegar-orange oil mix that I was just talking about with the collar a little bit earlier, and that way, uh, in fact, sometimes it's a good idea midwinter because uh, spraying with vinegar and orange oil after your St. Augustine has turned brown won't hurt the St. Augustine at all, but it will kill dichondra, it will kill dandelions, it will kill henbit, it will kill the winter grass, it'll get rid of all the green vegetation that's left behind without without hurting your St. Augustine at all. So I, who knows, you know, I, yeah. I'm not nearly crazy enough to try to predict the weather, but most winters... Yeah. We, we will get one or two fairly heavy frost. And when that happens and your St. Augustine browns, you can go in with the, uh, with the vinegar orange oil mix and you will kill that dichondra. You'll see results in 15 minutes. And you can many times totally wipe it out with one or two sprayings. And you'll have the benefit of, like I say, controlling dandelions and a lot of those other wintertime weeds that want to jump up on you. And yet it won't bother your St. Augustine at all. It'll come out stronger than ever next spring. That sound, that sounds great, and I you know I I wasn't tuned in when you originally gave that sort of formula for the vinegar and orange oil. Would you mind repeating it for me? Not at all, not at all. It's uh, two ounces or two jiggers, if you prefer, two ounces of orange oil to a gallon of vinegar. Uh, in the case of uh, most of these winter weeds, are so soft, you can just use ordinary grocery store vinegar. If you want to go with something a little stronger, you can get what they call pickling vinegar at the grocery store. Your good nurseries will actually have a 20% vinegar that uh, is yep. strong enough to, you know, really take care of some pretty tough weeds. But dichondra is pretty tender, as are the other winter weeds, and probably just ordinary vinegar and orange oil is all you need. To that two ounces uh, per gallon of vinegar, add just a squirt of dish soap, add about a tablespoon of molasses to it, and you'll have the best and safest weed killer out there. Okay. Uh, uh, a, squirt of, a squirt of dish soap and yeah. a little bit of molasses. Okay. Yes, sir. All right. Hey, th- thank you, Bob. I appreciate your help. Well, good luck, and I want to know how you're doing on getting rid of it. Okay. We'll, we'll get back with you then. Thank you. All right, John. Thank you so much. All right. Goliad, John, is up next. Good morning, John. Hi, good morning, Bob. Good um, morning, sir. Um, you probably get to ask this all the time. I apologize for asking again, but no, don't uh, ever apologize. Me. It's probably a question that half the half the people out there want an answer to. So go right ahead. I appreciate that. Um, trimming oak trees—is this a bad time to do that time of year? There's never a really a bad time. There's never really a, a good time or one time that's any better than other. Are we talking about live oaks? Uh, well, they're they're native oaks. Um, okay, okay. They're about forty year, forty years old, so they're probably uh, a pin oak or a live oak. I'm not sure okay. which one. Yeah, well, but they are live oaks that keep their leaves through the winter months. Uh, the yeah. red oaks, the bur oaks, things like that. Lacey's oak, the oaks that drop their leaves. I like to wait until the leaves are off, but the only reason is because I can see what I'm doing a little bit better. Uh, with live oaks, you can literally prune, prune 365 days a year, but there is a never a time that you should not paint the wounds. That's Unfortunately, a lot of lazy tree trimmers will say, oh, yeah, we prune in the winter because 
because we don't have to paint. Yes, you do have to paint because little beetles that can spread the oak wilt disease. Uh, the, you can have 20 degrees one day and 70 degrees the next day in Texas, and it might be nice and cold the day they pruned, but the wounds remain infectable for up to 10 days. So if you can guarantee me the temperature is not going to get uh, much above freezing for 10 days, and I'll tell you, you don't have to paint the wounds, but that's not going to happen. Uh, you prune whenever it's convenient for you, but just be sure that all wounds, no matter how large or how small, are sealed. Now, you don't have to use pruning paint. Uh, in fact, some people, some of the good arborists will tell you that just a good latex spray paint works maybe even better than okay. pruning paint does because it, pruning paint does not help a wound to heal. The only reason we paint the wounds is to keep out the insects, uh, the nitty doodle beetles and ambrosia beetles, the ones that could be spreading oak wilt. That's why we paint the wounds, and um, you just use whatever's handy for you. Okay, no, I appreciate that. And and in terms of um, the, the volume or the amount of trimming, these these trees probably because they're about forty years old, and I don't know that they've really ever been maintained. So there's some dead there's some dead branches, um, and just very they're very thick. Um, mm-hmm. Is there? I know kind of the general rule of thumb is not more than 25% of the tree. Is that correct at a time? Well, you're not doing the tree a favor at all by pruning it. Uh, there's okay. these people that, you know, want to want to tell you, oh, we're going to make your tree so much more healthy and vigorous. Uh-uh. Uh, you know, <laughs> the happiest trees out there is one that never sees, never sees a saw in its entire life. We prune for our own convenience and not so much on live oaks but in the case of elms and some other trees we prune to take out really weak branches we we prune to take out when when a branch makes an angle of less than uh, 45 degrees with the trunk or with another limb that's the limb that's likely to split and break in a windstorm and some other trees pecans and especially elms tend to form a lot of these narrow angle branches and uh, we sometimes take those out just to improve the structural integrity of the tree but that's rarely an issue with live oaks so um, you can prune you can thin them out a little bit if you want to get more light through uh, to be able to grow more things underneath it but when you prune you're just going to make the tree come back thicker than ever so um uh, just you, you're pruning for cosmetic reasons only uh me many times we trim the lower limbs just so we can get underneath with a mower or a line yeah. trimmer or whatever but um i would say 25 percent is a good maximum to prune but uh just keep in mind you're doing this for your benefit not for the tree's benefit Okay. Okay. And in terms of um, not harming the tree, uh, is there like a, a time duration between uh, trimming events or pruning events no. that would be recommended? No, That's not okay. really. Okay. Not really. I, you know, and and deadwood. If you have dead limbs in the tree, which always occurs in live oaks, because right. the purpose of the leaves, of course, is to absorb the sun's energy. And when you've got a beautiful tree, thick tree like you have. Those lower, those interior limbs are not going to get the light they need, and so the tree says, okay, we don't need you, and cuts off the nutrient supply and drops the leaves, and you're almost always going to have some dead tre- dead limbs in a really healthy tree, and you can take those out any time. It's probably a good idea, too. The tree doesn't really 
no, but yeah. uh, it's not any fun having a having a limb come crashing down on top of your car or your house or your hammock <laughs> or anything else. So I I prune, and, and the first pruning I always do is to take the dead wood out, and then I'll go back and see if there's anything else that I think needs to be pruned. I tend to raise the canopy a little bit higher on some of my oaks because I'm not convinced that the wildlife and even my cows uh, might not create some significant wounds, and they're not eating much oak foliage right now. But when the weather gets really right. dry, you know, you'll see deer standing up on their hind limbs to browse things. And so I, I yeah. trim to raise the canopy a little bit uh, on oaks all the time. But, again, it's just uh, you're, you're doing it to please you, not necessarily to please the tree. Okay. No, well, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Um, if I can ask just one more question, of course. Uh, I've heard you mention the the formula or the recipe for your your weed killer uh, okay. a few times today, and and I, I've, I've written it down now, so I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> okay, is is it is that uh, a weed killer that you could use in a uh, like electric sprayer for spraying fence lines? Would it be okay in that in that application? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, okay. that would be one of the best ways you could do it. Uh, you don't dilute it with water, so you don't use a hose-in sprayer. But a, right. a pump sprayer, an electric sprayer, whatever you know, whatever way you have of applying it, uh, it's ideal. The one thing that I always recommend is rinse your sprayer thoroughly after you spray because that acetic acid in the vinegar uh, will get after the seals in a sprayer. And so just, you know, run a little clear water through it after you spray. But, uh, okay. yeah, it, it works. It works very, very well. And uh, if you're spraying fence lines and things like that, uh, I'm going to be real interested. Uh, you may have heard me mention earlier, a good friend was at a conference recently and learned about a company originally uh, started in Australia, has come out with uh, a product that they say makes the acetic acid weed killers much, much more effective. And so we're going to be trying that and doing some experiments with that. And by this time next year, maybe, maybe recommending one more thing to to add to the mix, but right now those okay. those four things, molasses, dish soap, and orange oil and vinegar are are all you need to make a round killer that's is just as good as a lot of some of that uh, dangerous stuff that the box stores push. Yeah, yeah, I'm really glad to hear that it can be used like that. I'd, I'd like to kind of kind of get away from using the um, the, sure. the, uh, the box store killer. So, and yeah, if really, you really appreciate it. it, well, it's my great pleasure and. Um, some of the people that uh, package the the twenty percent vinegar, they're actually putting it in bigger sizes now. You can buy it in a two and a half gallon container, or if you're talking really big uses, uh, you can get it in a you know in a fifty five gallon drum or even a two hundred and forty gallon carboy. So it is out there. If I were looking for big quantities, uh, call Stuart Frankie over at Medina. He can probably put you in touch with places that you can get larger quantities. But even at your good nursery or garden center, you should be able to find it. Uh, in, in two and a half gallon containers now, which uh, does decrease the price. Great, great. Well, th well, thank you so much. I, I, I just really enjoy your show. I've been listening to you for years, and, and uh, it's such such a wonderful show. Really do appreciate it. Well, I really appreciate that. I just try to keep you from making all the mistakes that I've made <laughs> since I started working in my grandfather's greenhouse when I was five years old, John. So it's always a pleasure to help and uh, keep up the good work with what you're doing and call me anytime you have questions. Well, thank, thank you so much. Have a great day. You do the same. Thank you. All right. All right. Quick break here. I get to talk to you about the Tank Depot. 
And I tell you, we are in the midst of one of the best fall, you know, late summer fall periods we've ever had when it comes to uh, having good rainfall. But you always know the next drought in Texas is just right around the corner. Smart folks are really getting into rainwater harvest for many, many different reasons. It's a great money saver when it comes to landscape water. It's, uh, it's, it's the best and cleanest water you'll ever drink. Oh, gosh, I just can't say enough nice things about rainwater. But whether you're actually using it for drinking water or whether you're just using it as landscape water, you've got to have good tanks to store it. And that's why I love talking about the Tank Depot. These are the folks that specialize in tanks. That's their main business. That's their only business. Tanks and the accessories that you may need for all purposes, not just rainwater harvest, but for, oh, a transfer tank for the back of your pickup truck or maybe a chemical storage tank, an open top tank, a bait tank. If you need a tank, you need to check out the Tank Depot because they're all always going to have the biggest selection and the best prices and the best quality. Uh, today, you'll have to do it online at tank-depot.com. Weekdays, if you actually want to go to their sales yard, uh, it's over on Southeast Loop 410, just south of Rigsby Avenue. And you're going to see a wide, wide assortment of tanks and not as many as you're going to find online. But uh, everything from relatively small tanks to absolutely giant tanks, tanks that don't even look like tanks. It's the Tank Depot, and yes, they can provide delivery, especially on their bigger tanks. Check them out, the Tank Depot. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Shanna and Chris and Ann and John. Shanna's up first. Good morning, Shanna. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Can you hear me? Off to a wonderful start. It is just as pretty a day as I've seen in a long time. How about you? Yeah, that's great. I have a problem. I have a 15-year-old mountain laurel that I'm pretty sure is dying. It has two trunks. One of them's gone, the leaves have gone completely brown, and they're still on it. I don't know if okay. there's anything I can do for the other branch, um, or is it just gone? I'm yeah. in Bernie, so I had to freeze like everyone else. Yeah. It, you know, the the biggest problem for mountain laurels is staying too wet. And depending on where you are around Bernie, it's it's been very, very wet. Now, it's surprising that that tree's been around for this many years without any problem. I very definitely would check the base and be sure that it's not buried. You actually want to see, it's not as pronounced a root flare as you'll see on your oaks and cherries and things, but uh, you want to you want to be sure soil hasn't gotten piled up around the trunk. Uh, it would be a good thing to, next time it needs water, maybe give it a little bit of Super Thrive, a little bit of Garrett juice. Sometimes we have something physical will happen, even things we can't see, that may damage one side of a mountain laurel and the other side may go on living for another 50 years. So if the growth looks good and healthy on the other side of it, uh, I suspect it has... It's more of a physical cause. I mean, it could be a girdling root. It could be, oh, for that matter, even though it's not as likely on uh, mountain laurels, but a lightning strike can sometimes do that and affect one part of a plant and not the other. So I wouldn't, you know, I certainly wouldn't write it off. And if the growth looks healthy on the remaining half, I think it probably is going to stay healthy. But a little bit of Garrett juice, a little bit of Super Thrive when it needs water again. And 
just don't don't get carried away with trying to water it because we've had uh, enough rain. We shouldn't have had to add a drop of water to our Mount Laurels in the past six months at least. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm sure not going to give up on it. I, I'm not sure what okay. got to the first half. And it may just be latent freeze damage. But if the other half looks good, having been through the cold and now through the hotter part of the year, I think it's in good shape and probably going to fill out and do just fine for years to come. Should I just take that limb off or just leave it and see if something re-sprouts? Or? Well, I, if it's turned brown and the leaves are staying on it, I doubt very much that it's going to re-sprout. Yes. Uh, okay. And, I was just uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it, it, the, the tree doesn't really care. I, yeah, hope springs eternal, as they say. The tree doesn't really care, but it'll certainly look nicer to take that bad limb out. And uh, if we're blind, mm. that's what I probably do. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Well, you've got a good day to get out and uh, and enjoy doing it, Shannon. And you let me know wow. how the other half does. I look forward to hearing from okay. you. Thanks, Bob. And I thank you. And thank you. You're welcome. Bye. All right, Chris is up next. Good morning, Chris. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I got a couple questions. <clears throat> uh, thanks for calling. All, okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, first of all, my front yard. I got uh, I'll just be grass in there, and it's real spongy. I put the yes, uh, beneficial nematodes in there. Uh, beginning of the summer, and I watered it when we had all that rain. Uh-huh. But I still had that same issue. You can put your finger in the in the grass and pull straight up, and it's like there's no roots there. It's green as heck, but it's just it's real spongy. Mm-hmm. So, well, the lack of and, and spongy's not bad, but lack of roots tells me that you've probably had some grubworm damage over the summer months. Now the grubworms are not going to do any damage uh, right now. They're you know they they burrowed way down deep in the soil, just waiting the winter out when they'll come back up and turn into June bugs and start the cycle all over. So uh, not really anything I think you need to do at this point. If you haven't put a good fall fertilizing on, I would do that. Any of the good organic fertilizers, but I would definitely fertilize it. But um, I think you'd be wasting your time putting out nematodes or doing just about anything else. Uh, wouldn't hurt to spray with a little molasses or a little bit of uh, Garrett juice, a little bit of Medina Plus, something like that to help break down grass clippings. And uh, if you've got any any kind of thatch built up, uh, that'll help break it down and make the grass healthier overall. But I don't think you've got any problems that we're going to work. That's up to you. Yeah, if if you're, go ahead. Actually, every time I cut grass, I always pull the uh, clippings up because I have a magnolia tree in the front yard. So when I cut uh-huh. the grass, I, I mulch it. But I always I pick, I'm picking up the grass clippings all the time. I never left them going going to uh, the ground. Yeah, you can do that if you like. It's not really necessary as long as you're staying with organic fertilizers. Those clippings will break down and actually put some nutrition back in the ground. So uh, to pick up or not to pick up is totally up to you. But um, at this point, all I would worry about doing is just putting out a good uh, fall fertilizing. And uh, if we get back into dry weather, if we go for as much as two, three weeks without rain, you probably want to water about every three weeks during the winter months. But uh, I think any 
damage you're looking at happened three or four months ago, and at this point, I don't think you need to do it a single thing except, uh, like say, fertilize water if we get really dry. If it stays warm, and we're looking at being in the 80s the next few days, it's not out of the question. It may grow to the point you want to give it one more mowing, but leave the grass long. Leave it shaggy. That actually gives you some insulation, protects it through the winter. If you want to cut it down a little bit lower in the spring when you get started, you certainly can, but uh, leave it leave it fairly long and shaggy and uh, find something else to worry about. I think your grass is going to be fine. <laughs> well, that goes into my backyard. I got uh, three uh, blue heaters, and uh, they run back and forth, and they compacted the dirt and the soil. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what I can do to break up the dirt and then what kind of grass. Because I got three trees back there. I got a, a Spanish oak, I got a live oak, and I have a sycamore tree back there. Yeah. And so well, as they grew, they, they took away my grass because yeah. of, of, the, of the shade. <laughs> the, uh, the only grass that's going to grow at all is going to be St. Augustine. And, uh, you know, dog feet are hard, especially when you've got a high-energy dog like Blue Healers. <laughs> I wish we could, we could bottle some of that energy for ourselves. But the way to keep your, your ground soft is periodically there's a product out there called Medina Plus, which works to soften the soil. Even spraying with a little bit of molasses, about two tablespoons per gallon, that will really help keep your soil soft. And I'd be doing that every two or three months. It's just a real good thing for the soil. But uh, those little dog feet are going to keep the grass beaten down. And there's just... Uh, they're they're worth the trouble they cause, but it's hard to keep a really full thick yard when you've got. I have labs, you have blue healers. I know all about having paths worn in the grass, but uh, uh, if they if they have a specific area they run, like many times uh, if you're on an alleyway or something, and they just run love to run the back fence. Sometimes I'll just put down some you know make them a mulch running track because I know I'm never going to be able to keep the grass growing. But you could use decayed granite or you could use just a you know good inexpensive mulch uh, in the areas that they just run it so much that grass has no chance putting down a mulch or something like that will cut down on uh, on mud issues but uh, and when you got three high energy dogs you're just always going to have some issues trying to keep the grass looking good okay, okay. and you said uh, try to uh, the soil is loosen up its two tablespoons per gallon of molasses yeah yeah, and just get good ag- agricultural molasses. You don't have to pay the higher price at the grocery store. Just any feed store, any nursery should have uh, Medina. As a matter of fact, Package is a real good molasses. Just just get some of their molasses, about two tablespoons per gallon. It will, it'll make all your plants healthier, and it'll soften the soil at the same time. Okay, you also carry that shelf place, correct? Oh, absolutely. Any good nursery does, yes, sir. All right, well, I'll be heading over there after I get off this phone. Well, wait, wait till 10. We don't open till 10 on Sundays, and that's still just a little ways away, but, you know, we'll probably let you in any time. But in the meantime, uh, it's good to talk to you, Chris, and always look forward to, always look forward to helping when we can. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, uh, and let me get a break in here. Ann and John will be the next two callers, but uh, I have the great pleasure of talking about Wild Birds Unlimited. And, you know, a lot of folks are into birding. A lot of folks have found that it's just a great thing to get your kids or even your grandkids into. gives them a much better appreciation of nature. Plus, it's just fun. And Wild Birds Unlimited, I tell you what, they've got things for kids, for adults of all ages, and things will really make your birding experiences better. They just know so 
much more than most other people in the business. They know, for instance, that uh, birds prefer, your seed-eating birds actually prefer different seed in the winter months. That's why Wild Birds Unlimited has a winter blend fertilizer. They know that suet is so important for birds that are normally insect eaters, and they have suet cake that has many different things embedded in it, lots of different kinds of suet cake, and the birds absolutely love it. They also have the best feeders in the world. They have great binoculars if you really want to help uh, yourself and the kids enjoy the birding even more. But Wild Birds Unlimited is so much more than a bird store. Wonderful gift merchandise, all sorts of things just to help you enjoy nature out of doors. And with the holidays coming up, they've extended their hours. They're open, I believe it's till 8 in the evenings. They're open on Sunday afternoons. Easy to find. They're right over there in the shopping center at the corner of Northwest Military and Hebner. They're on the side that faces Northwest Military. That'll make it a little bit easier for you to find them over there. And uh, like I say, they're open seven days a week. It's a great place to shop for gifts. It's a great place to shop for yourself. And if you're into birders, it's the into birding, it's the only place to shop. That's Wild Birds Unlimited. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Ann and John and Robert and Ray, and Ann is up first. Ladies first. Good morning, Ann. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I hope you can help me with this problem. Uh, We have a very small backyard. Um, It's got an existing lawn, but very small. Right next to it is an area maybe 5 feet wide by 15 feet long with flagstone. We want to remove the flagstone and lay some sod. Well, I pulled up one of the flagstones, and there's um, like a deteriorating thick plastic with two or three inches of sand above it. How do we prepare that for sod? Well, get rid of the plastic. Uh, Just, you know, go through and... and pull it up as much as you can. Right. The sand's not an issue. Your new grass is going to grow its roots right through the sand down to the soil okay. underneath. So I would not worry about the sand, but the plastic needs to go. That's cutting okay. off uh, oxygen penetration into the soil. It's right. keeping it too wet underneath and too dry on top. So right. it's just a matter, maybe for two people, I'd have one of them out there with the hard rake, raking the sand back and the other one just going along, pulling the pulling the plastic up and dumping the, okay. the uh, sand off of of it then just even up that sand again i wouldn't even worry about adding anything you know if you weren't going to plant your new grass for six months or so i might suggest adding a little bit of compost mixed in with the sand but you don't want to do that if you're going to do your grass immediately because uh compost produces a lot of carbon dioxide and grass roots want oxygen not carbon dioxide so i just level it out put my new sod right on top of it roll it to take out any air pockets underneath and you'll have uh instant yard over where you used to have your flagstone. My son-in-law wants to do that right away, so we just lay it right over the... It's a little bit lower than the existing lawn that we have right now. So do we just lay it over the... Will the grass even up? The grass will even up. Yeah, the grass will even up. If you need to go back and... uh, you know, add a little bit of compost or something uh, afterwards to make it more even you can, but I certainly wouldn't go to any great effort because things are going to settle a little bit. The one thing I will tell you about laying grass in the winter months is the grass comes from the sod farms a little more susceptible to brown patch. They push the grass so hard with synthetic fertilizers that it's uh, more susceptible to brown patch, and brown patch usually shows up in the fall. So I think you're fine to put the new grass 
grass down this time of year, but I've followed up with a little bit of whole ground cornmeal just to reduce the problem that you'd have any brown patch get started, but no, it, uh, I, I get out there. Today's going to be a beautiful day on working on getting the, the plastic up, and then as soon as you find good grass, you might, you might try Thomas Stone and Landscape or Dells. Those are two of the companies that typically have some of the best grass in the area, but there's no reason to put it off. We're into a great time of year for planting grass. Good, good. Because he was worried about that, that it might, we might have to wait till spring, but we want to no. get it done right away. No reason to wait till spring. Like I say, just a little bit of cornmeal, I think, would be a good preventive step just to be sure you don't get brown patch started in it. And uh, But no, I, it sounds like a great project. And let me tell you, the kind of weather we're having, it kind of makes doing things outdoors seem a little bit more like fun, a little bit less like work. Well, I was I was hoping you would say that because I was afraid of having to pull up all that sand. <laughs> no, you're going to have all the work you need pulling up that flagstone. Don't worry about the sand. <laughs> okay, so thank you so much, Bob. It's my pleasure, Ann. Thank you for the call this morning. All right, next up is another John. We've got a lot of gentlemen named John calling this morning. How are you today, John? I'm doing well. I was kind of giggling when I talked to your screener because... I was the third one that I'd been listening to in just a few minutes. Um, I, well, I tell uh, you, my, my screener on every other Sunday, Chris is a character. So, uh, you know, you may become known as Big John or whatever, but uh, it's if you get a little teased by Chris, it's a sign of affection. He has a lot of fun with people <laughs> that sound like they have a sense of humor. So I'll just put you on notice there being the third John of the day. <laughs> okay. Um I'm contemplating their pressure compensated drip irrigation, mm-hmm. but I'm curious when I lay that out, do, like I have rows of bro- broccoli, cauliflower, that stuff going right now. Mm-hmm. Do I just lay a straight line or do I circle leach plant? Oh, no, just a straight line on on what we would call row crops, you know, uh, in an orchard, fruit trees, something like that, where you need to put down a, a more water in one area than another will sometimes do just a series of concentric circles around it but the what i do in my own garden i will usually well some things i'll put just one line of the drip tubing down but what i really like to do is put two lines one on either side of the area probably about a foot apart where i'm putting it in and periodically i'll just put a little cross piece because you know, it just seems to the the water flow is already even, but uh, I you know I I sometimes like to be sure that water's flowing both directions in the tubing, but this is not a big job. Mine, golly, I've I've had the uh, pressure compensated drip down for five or six years. I find that the little Y connectors, the little L's, the things like that, uh, tend to. Uh, uh, get a little more brittle in the sun, but the tubing itself lasts virtually forever. Uh, the other thing that's good to do somewhere along that system, you put a you put a, a way to be able to clean it out because whether it's well water or saws water, there's a lot of crud that comes into our city water. You've seen that on the strainer on your sink, I'm sure. Sure. But what you do, you simply put a T in there. Put a little, oh, about an 8 or 10 inch pigtail off of that, and then you simply fold it back on top of itself. They make a little device, looks like a figure 8, uh, that you slip on, bend it over, and then slip it in the other end, and that effectively
effectively keeps it from leaking any water out. And then every few weeks, you just go slip it off, let that thing open up, turn on the water for a few minutes, and flush out any debris that's accumulated in the line. And uh, I find that that really helps, uh, you know, keep from having anything build up in the lines. But it's really very simple. Um, if you happen to be over our way, we actually did a little handout on exactly how to do it. Be happy to give you one of those. But uh, it's not rocket science. <laughs> you can, you're not likely to make any real mistakes in doing it. And uh, like I say, I just, I, I like doing, I, I like doing like two parallel lines wherever I can, just because I think it soaks the ground more evenly. And don't worry about where you actually put your little broccoli or cauliflower or whatever kind of plants you're planting, because where the little individual emitters occur on the drip line, that's where you'll see be the big wet spot on the soil underneath. But if you dig down, you'll find that that water kind of flares out in a cone. Sure. Yeah. So even if your plants are six inches away from the nearest emitter, they're going to get plenty of water. Okay. Um, the, by the cross piece, I assume that's just a little, you, you can put a T in there and the water's flowing through the cross piece yeah, as well. Yeah, like exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right. Yeah. Um, now, uh, if you, and, one other thing I will tell you, I don't know how much you've looked at the lines yet, but uh, if you have where you want to go from point A to point B, but you don't want water coming out there, they also make what they call blank tubing that looks exactly like the pressure compensated drip. But, uh, you know, like if you if you were coming from a hydrant, but you didn't want to start watering for the first 10 feet, simply get 10 feet of blank tubing and then start with your uh, uh, your little pressure compensated drip wherever you want the water to start flowing. Okay, well, I'm getting old and lazy, and here's what my goal is, or my plan, and you can tell me if this is crazy or not. Are you familiar with those Melmore uh, one spigot to four spigots? Uh, yeah. automatic waters that, and they even have them now that have Bluetooth that you can operate them on your phone if you know you're out of town or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, are those worth getting? Or because I, I tend not to get in my garden every afternoon, especially you know short days like now. By the time I get home, it's dark <laughs> and I don't go out there unless I'm looking Boy. for caterpillars or something. Do I ever um, know that feeling? I I <laughs> have not used those. I use just, you know, the standard solenoid valve, and uh, my garden set up uh, like a sprinkler system. I've got like uh, 10 zones, and each one of those zones is either one or two lines of drip. So uh, I have no problem with using an automatic controller on them. I, I just am not familiar with that particular one you're going to need to let the system run probably for an hour at a time and if they have the capacity for you know running for an hour and shutting off or moving to the next zone uh, that's fine i i would say probably the maximum length of line that i would run on any one line is going to be about 200 feet so i don't know how big your garden is obviously if you have a very very large garden you can't water the whole thing at one time you've got to be able to cycle through and water sure. three or four rows and then the next three or four rows and the next three or four rows and i accomplish that just with a basic uh, rainbird uh, irrigation controller they call it and they make them that have six zones 10 zones 20 zones whatever you need so if if the melnor is is does the same sort of job uh then i'd have no problem with it just just be aware that you can't run an endless number of pipes all at the same time uh unless you had some sort of big booster pump and you know 100 pounds of per square inch of water pressure 
No, and it's it's it has full, one inlet, four outlets, but you can alternate the time that you're running them. And I have basically my garden's fifty feet, and I have about and it's I don't know how wide, probably eighty feet wide, but mm-hmm. I have about room for ten or twelve rows. But I sugar sure. on those two outlets. I have two faucets back there that I've yeah. put into the garden, so I don't have to drag hoses all around. But I. Uh, I can water eight rows, I, w- I would assume, and if yep. if I can do 200 feet, well, then I can run them down and back, so I can, you know, do my row crops, you know, down and back, so I could probably water the whole thing with the two two of those melanoids. Yeah, yep. you know, I think four. you probably could. One other thing, are you are you here in the San Antonio area, in the Hill Country, where I'm are you? I'm in New Braunfels. You're in New Braunfels. If I were going to go one step further, since, as you've said, uh, you lead a busy life and can't always run out to the garden... The one thing I would do is on each of those hydrants where you're going to hook in your drip line, um, I would put a, um, or actually probably, uh, well, you'd have to look see how you would lay it out. But if possible, I would put a Y connector on the hydrant and I would put a freeze miser on one side and hook the other side to your drip system. And uh, that's going to give you a system that will automatically drip the hydrants uh, if you know if the weather gets below freezing, and uh, we use these things on uh, water troughs, we use it on, you know, just hydrants on the house. But this, this little device was invented. Some guys over in the Seguin area came up with it, and it's the neatest thing I've ever seen to just guarantee that your faucets are never going to freeze. But uh, it might be something that you would want to, you know, think about putting on those two hydrants out in the out in the garden. Uh, if if we do get another cold winter, it sure beats uh, <laughs> replacing pipes and hydrants. I keep thinking I'm going to get those, and I'm going to give them as stocking stuffers to my sons, but I uh, never get to the store and never look online <laughs> for them. But I, I've just made a note to remind myself to do that. Well, now, I, we, I, I had a guy last just... week buying 16 of them for everybody on his Christmas <laughs> list because uh, right. he was so pleased with how they worked before. But I'm with you. I know what a busy life is all about, and uh, anything I can do to increase my gardening time and uh, decrease my maintenance time, I sure do like it. Yeah, I kind of assumed I'd just have to take those Melnor things off, uh, even with the freeze miser. Would it dripping on one side? Is there not any water stored up in that thing that's going to um, cause it to burst if I have it out in freezing weather? I, you know, you would, uh, what you're going to do is uh, you're going to put a Y connector that has the little individual cutoffs. Sure. I, I don't know enough about the Melnor, but I don't think that it's going to be holding any water, so uh, uh, that should not be an issue. That would be good if it wasn't. Okay. All right, great. Bob, I really appreciate it, and uh, as usual, enjoy listening to you. Well, you get out and have a good weekend, John. Always appreciate the call and look forward to hearing how it works out on your garden. So get out and have a good day of it. And, uh, oh, oddly enough, I hadn't even looked at my log here. looks like the next thing I get to talk about is the freeze miser. And that's such a pleasure. Again, uh, it's just the most clever device that you'll ever find. I mean, no bar- no batteries, no wires, nothing to go wrong with it. Uh, and it just it senses the temperature of the water in your pipes, in your hydrants, and not the air temperature. But you put this on a hydrant, you turn it on full blast, or you can put it on with a Y connector if you want to leave a hose connected to one side. Either way, you put it on, you turn the water on, 
absolutely nothing comes out through the freeze miser until the water inside the pipe drops to 37 degrees, then it automatically starts dripping. As soon as it warms up, it stops dripping. Last winter, I put them on, left them all winter, on all winter, had zero problems, and there's uh, just no maintenance, there's just no worries. They use these things in Minnesota. They use them in much colder climates, so uh, they're not going to be damaged by the cold that we have, but it's just peace of mind, and it is such good protection, I can tell you, but there are a lot of people wish they'd had them on their wells and places last winter because we saw so many broken hydrants and pipes and pumps. Freeze Miser is just a very clever, just incredibly engineered device. If you want to see how they work, go to freezemiser.com. You'll find all sorts of information there. You're not going to find them in your box stores, but you'll find them, well, you can actually order online if you like, but you'll also find them at your better nurseries and hardware stores and farm and ranch stores. And for those of you all that put them on uh, last year, if you want to just convince yourself that they are still working, I mean, a lot of pines I never even bothered to take off in the summer months, but what I'll do to check and be sure they work properly, what you do is take that freeze miser, stick it in the freezer for a few minutes, and then go out and put it on the hydrant and turn the water on. There'll be a little bit of water flow out because the freeze miser thinks, hey, this is really cold, but within a minute or two, it will totally shut off. And that's how you test it to be sure it's still working properly. Mine are, and I'm sure yours are too. It's just a neat device. It's the freeze miser. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. Well, I've only got about 45 seconds till news time here, so Robert and Ray and James, you guys hold on. You'll be up right after this newscast. It's going to be a beautiful day out there. If you've not gotten your fall fertilizer on, it's the perfect day to do it. Using the good organic products, you don't have to worry about watering them in. If you want to really get some beauty going out there, getting ready for maybe having the family over for Thanksgiving, great time to plant pansies and dianthus and Johnny Jump Ups. Plant those guys in sunny areas. Your shady areas, you've got cyclamen, German primrose, ornamental kale, ornamental cabbage. It's just going to be a good day to get out there. And in the vegetable garden, boy, it's time for spinach and collards and lettuce and beets and radishes and carrots and turnips and broccoli and cauliflower. Lots to do on a beautiful day like this. This is KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Back to gardening and back to the phone lines. going to be Robert and Ray and James. Robert is up first. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Thank you for, for taking my call. I really appreciate thank, it. Well, thank you for calling. I appreciate that. Yes, Bob. I, I planted uh, some seeds uh, from a lemon. Uh-huh. About a year and a, a year and a half ago. Okay. And and now uh, and I I planted them in a five gallon uh, container. Uh huh. Okay. Now I got uh, two separate uh, lemon trees coming up. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so now what I want to do I want to separate uh, one and put it you know in another different container. Okay. And I, I was wondering when can when can I do that and how does the lemon tree have have to be before I I do that. Well, you can do it any time. How far apart are the two trunks in this container that you have them sprouting in? Oh, they're they're practically like side by side. Okay, you wanna you wanna separate them. Uh, you don't have to separate them. You could let them grow up and kind of like a twin trunk tree if you wanted to. But if you okay. want to make separate trees out of them, you definitely want to separate them before they get too big. And okay. what you're if they're really close together, what you're gonna have to do is kind of wash the soil away you you know the roots haven't spread too terribly far so 
I would kind of tap them out of that container. I would take a hose and I would just wash away the soil so that you can untangle the roots and pull them apart. Don't let them stay dry. But it's not going to hurt okay. them at all to do this. If you just, uh, you know, wash the soil away, separate them, and repot them immediately in individual pots, they're going to hardly okay. know they've been disturbed. And you could do that okay. anytime. It's, uh, uh, how, how tall are they now, Robert? Oh, they're about, oh, let's see. I'd say about, Two and a half to three and a feet, three feet tall. Oh, there! It's time to do it. Yeah, that this is going to be a good afternoon project for you. I wouldn't let them get much bigger because those roots will just get so tangled that uh, you'll end up doing some damage trying to get them apart. But man, this afternoon would be a perfect time to do that. Just uh, don't let them get dry. Just like I say, type them out of the pot, wash the soil away, separate them, and repot them into their own individual pots. And uh, be sure you don't bury them too deeply. Water them in with a little Garrett juice or Super Thrive or something, and uh, you're good okay. to go. Now, okay. the trees are probably going to take another two or three years before they're mature enough to start blooming and making fruit. But it right. uh, sounds like you're going to have a couple of great lemon trees. Okay. Now, now let me ask you. Now, now you did mention that they could uh, be grown side by side. You said sure. correct. They yeah. could? They could. Okay. And then I just, because I want to trim them like, like a like a bush you know what i mean uh -huh. i don't want them to get too tall because i want to put them on my patio sure okay yeah, that's no problem at all you just uh you know at this point i wouldn't give them a major haircut <clears throat> but i go in and you know if they have like oh two or three tall limbs coming up i just cut about an inch off the top of those and that will make them branch at that point and you'll have beautiful thick growth and uh that's going to give you the maximum number of lemons still going to have to be patient because growing from seed uh size doesn't have anything to do with when they can bloom and reproduce they have to go through this physical maturing process and uh that's going to take another couple of years but uh you grow a nice big tree and the first year they bloom you might pick a bushel of fruit off of it okay and, and you said that they both can exist then in that five gallon container they can for a while ultimately you're going to get them up into probably about a 15 gallon pot um, okay. because they you know they'd like a little bit more room but they can grow for a long time in a five gallon pot okay that, that's what I that's what I, I was thinking that's the only thing I'm afraid of is, is if I pull them apart or well, if I separate them that you know, one may live and one the other may not. And, I told you, they're, and they're both are beautiful right now, side by side. But like I, well, they're both. You know, is 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 the old old sign that old man uh, John or uh, Eddie Fanick put up. It said, uh, uh, "Human life is not guaranteed, or, or plant life is not guaranteed. Neither is human life, nor any other life on this planet." I'm going to say I'm going to give you about a 95 percent chance that both of them are going to live if you want to separate them because they haven't gotten to be huge plants yet. They haven't really fused together, so I'm yeah. I'm pretty sure you could be successful separating them if you want to. But uh -huh. even then, they're going to go through a little bit of shock. If you want to let them grow together, they will actually fuse. They'll actually make like you know one one bush with uh, two trunks uh, kind of fused together, and they don't really care. You do whatever works best for Robert. Okay. Thank you, Bob. I really appreciate your professional advice. You're great. Well, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate the call this morning. You get out and have a wonderful weekend. Thanks. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, Ray is up next. Good morning, Ray. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I've got I've got some fig cuttings, three fig cuttings that I okay. planted this year, earlier this year, and I put them in a half wine barrel. Okay. 
Um, they're four feet tall now. Can I repot those right now, or should I wait till spring? Oh, man. Are you going to separate them, or are you going to put them in individual pots, or are you just going to put the three of them together into a bigger pot? I plan to separate them. Okay. If I were going to separate them, I would wait till spring to do it. If you just okay. want to stick them in a bigger pot where you're not disturbing the roots, you're just taking them out of one pot and putting them into another, I'd say do that this afternoon. But if you're going to be separating them, you are going to shock them a little bit, and um, I, I would put that off till spring. If you had a greenhouse or something you could move them into, I'd say go for it you know, right now. But in general, I don't think you really have anything to lose by waiting two, three months before you do it, and that would be my advice. Okay. Uh, as far as the pot, once I repot them, can I put them all in the, the same thing, another 24-inch container? Oh, do you mean putting them in three individual 24-inch containers Correct. or keep Correct. putting all three Correct. of them in the same pot? Three individual containers. I would probably because go. They're, they're in a, they're, it's actually well, it's a half barrel, but it's one of those uh, potting type uh, plastic ones. Right, right. It, I, I when I separate them, can I do that same size or would I? Yes, sir. I, I do the same size. You never want to put a small plant in a giant pot. So I just get three pots. Then you know, it doesn't have to be. It can be mix and match, no matter what they look like. But uh, I would put the three individual plants back in about the same size pot if you do indeed want to keep them in a pot. Now, long term, unless there are a couple of dwarf figs out there. There's a cute little one called Little Miss Figgy that doesn't ever get real big. But now keep in mind, these things are going to want to be 12, 15 feet tall and 20 feet wide. So at some point, if you can, you're probably going to want want to put them into the ground and you can do that at any point but uh for now i would put them back in the same size pot they're in if you end up wanting to keep them in pots for a longer period of time a couple of years from now you're going to move them up to the size of a whiskey barrel rather than a wine barrel but keep in mind that one of these days you're going to want to get them in the ground because they're going to be just almost impossible to maintain in any pot so I'm looking at seven and a half acres next to my house. This guy just has to come back to to say, "Let's go." So they're <laughs> going into the ground. It's just a venture. It's just a matter well, of when. <laughs> you can put them right on the property line over there and uh, open your own fig Newton factory if you want to. Three figs are going to give you lots and lots of figs. So uh, I think you got something to look forward to there. Now, making tree boxes so I can grow them to a decent size mm-hmm. out of. Uh, Pallets. Heat treated pallet wood. Do I do I need to line that pallet with a uh, landscaping fabric, or can I just put them? Uh, If you're going to put the slats close enough that the water is not going to, I mean, the soil is not going to flow out. Absolutely no reason to put landscaping fabric in there. I just plant them and go. Uh, now realize that those pallets are going to rot away um, yeah. at some point. So this is not a permanent solution. I mean, if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to create a box that you could leave them in for a longer period of time, you could get some treks or something like that that'll last 50 years. Or um, you know, it's it's hard to buy in small quantities. But this wood called Eco Vantage wood that I just built a big new greenhouse over here at Shades of Green out of. Uh, that's really good. But if I were if I were going to 
you know, wanted to build a longer-lasting box, I'd probably go to one of the box stores and get some Trex or something like that. If you want to build a box that's going to last you for a couple of years, you basically got free wood with your pallets, and there's nothing at all wrong with that. Just don't set your expectations too high that it's going to be a long-term container. Recycled, reused, and then to the trash and in, in, uh, and to the compost bin after that. Well, I'm with you 100 <laughs> percent there. I just don't want to. I just don't want to be. I don't want to do the same job over and over any more often than I have to. Gotcha. All righty, thank you, Bob. Time to My get pleasure. back to the I appreciate the call and wait for these leaves to fall. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> it's, uh, you get out and have a good Sunday. And I better take a little bit of a break here, and then we'll start with James afterwards. Uh, I get to talk about Everest Eco Cleaners. Never heard of them? Well, they haven't been around a real long time, but these are the folks that are doing cleaning right. You know, most cleaners, they use some of the most toxic chemicals out there. In fact, in the groundwater business, we really worry about water contamination from these things they want to clean your clothes with. And that's not something I want to put on my body right up against my skin. I tell you what, I like it the way Everest Eco Cleaners does it. And that is only with non-toxic materials, whether it's uh, dry cleaning or wet cleaning. They use only environmentally friendly products. They use plant-based materials to do all of this. And I feel real good about putting those clothes against my body. Everest Eco Cleaners is closed today. They're open the other six days of the week. They offer free pickup and delivery throughout the San Antonio area. They clean all sorts of things, including suede and leather. They simply do the job right first time every time. Very environmentally friendly fashion. Very, very timely. I mean, they're they're prompt on getting your cleaning done. And like I say, it's done right. It's done with things that I would not mind putting against my body. So if you're looking for a good cleaners, both for wet cleaning and dry cleaning, you just remember the name Everest, just like Mount Everest. Everest Eco Cleaners. They've got two locations to serve you. One of them is at 4803 West Avenue, just inside Loop 410. The second is 2350 Northwest Military, just a ways outside of uh, Loop 410. I want to give them a call. <laughs> Again, they're closed today, but other days, 210-845-1010 for the very best. Everest Eco Cleaners. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be James and Jay and Judy and Rees, and James is up first. Good morning, James. Good morning, Bob. I have two questions, if I could. Certainly. Okay, well, my border collie's running up from the back pasture, and she looks very guilty. Anyway, I'll tackle that out. <laughs> Isn't that funny how they, how they know when they've done something they're not supposed to do, and uh, they're not apologizing, they're just looking guilty. No, she just went past me and kept going. <laughs> anyway, um, two questions. Well, I was picking up my Choctaw pecans this morning, nursing a cup of coffee. Beautiful morning for that. But I, th- I, I got my squirrels under check or control enough to harvest these pecans because they yep. wiped me out yep. almost last year. Yes, and it's sir. a yeah. young tree, but it's got it produced its first good crop this year. I'm thankful for that. Very but good. did I hear you and Dr. Kirby saying the reason why I ask, I've been trying to get these pecans before they fall on the ground or right when they do, because not so much the squirrels this year, It's uh, I found my lab was eating the pecans off the ground. Uh-huh. So uh, did I hear y'all say that, I mean, the shell, the whole pecans, I mean, he's going for the nuts, of course, because I fed sure. him the nuts before, but no, is that going to 
Am I worried about something I shouldn't be worried about as far as the dog goes? Well, you know, there's as far as the a dog goes, a lab, it's probably not an issue. The main thing we worry about with pecans is that the dog can't pass them. Sometimes, you know, the dog will swallow them. If they chew them and break them up, uh, probably not going to be any issues there. Nah, you know, you can get a little scrape on the esophagus or something like that. But the big issues that uh, Dr. Kirby sees, and you're welcome to call back in an hour and <laughs> ask sure. him too, but the big issue is a small dog swallows a pecan and it simply gets blocked. It can't pass that pecan, and that can you know, sometimes even lead to surgery, which is a pretty serious thing. Labs, considering that uh, we'll just say their internal parts are a little bit larger, and they're usually able to pass the pecan on through. So if these are adult labs, I, you know, when I think of the number of pecans, my two labs have eaten (laughs) without incident. I I, I wouldn't be too worried about it. I'd I'd always keep an eye on them, but... uh, um, puppies, yeah, there's a different story. Uh, and, you know, labs, if they have something that they think uh, you want and you don't want them to have it, they'll just immediately swallow it so you can't get it. But an adult dog, that's not going to be an issue. shouldn't be an issue. Okay, thank you. The reason why I asked, I walked in when y'all talked about it the other day, and I didn't hear the whole story. Okay, yeah. all right, so I'm not going to worry about that. Thanks. We're, we're more okay. worried about the dachshund or, you know, a, a smaller size shisu or something like that decides to swallow a pecan. That can lead to an issue because they don't dissolve. Okay, all right. Now, my main question, what I initially called for, um, I'm fixing in the next week or two, hopefully have a metal uh, patio cover put up. Yes, sir. And next time I replace the roof on the house, I'm going to go with the metal roof, but I have asphalt shingles. But I really want to get into the, the catching the rainwater mm-hmm. off this patio cover. Yeah. If I have yeah. the asphalt shingles on, uh, probably still going to be this roof's only four, about five years old, so it's going to go another five, I hope. So before I replace it, is there a problem uh, using that water off the asphalt? Uh, it's going to flow from the shingles onto the metal patio cover and then mm-hmm. catch it. I mean, the residue from the roofing, is that a problem? That's absolutely no issue as far as using the water for your plants. You, because you're always going to get a little bit of that grit off the shingles, you normally right. put uh, you normally put a little filter of some sort, either a sock filter or... We typically do what's called a first flush filter. It's a whole lot easier to show you on a blackboard than it is on the radio. But um, if you... Uh, <clears throat> You know, go to almost any anything that talks about uh, collecting rainwater, uh, you'll see how to construct a first flush filter. It's just a little side downspout that you put a cap on that's removable so that periodically... Well, what happens is when the, the first bit of rain that falls, it fills up this, this second pipe before it runs into your storage tank. And that's going to take most anything... Uh, toxic or solid or anything like that, it's going to run down in and, and be contained in that uh, side pipe. And then by the time it starts filling up your tank, you've got good, clean water. And okay. the way most of us just do it is on that little first flush uh, line that goes down. We just drill a small hole, like an eighth of an inch or something like that, so the water drains out slowly out of that and doesn't stick around to, you know, have mosquitoes or anything else in it. But uh, so you want to construct your system appropriately. Um, if you I, I, again, you'd have to go to a little bit more. 
complex thing if you want to use this for drinking water. You'll be involving a UV, you'll be installing a UV filter. You'll probably be putting an additional, you know, filter in the system. But if you're using this water for, you know, landscape planning and things like that, no, it's this is not an issue at all. The fact that you've got a asphalt shingle roof is not going to cause any problem whatsoever. Okay, now the water will be purely to water potted plants, yeah. and, and yeah. if I want to use it, because I'm going to container gardening even for my vegetables, so I can use it on the vegetables as well. The water it'll be the best water you've ever used on every plant you've ever grown. Okay, maybe I just think too much about this stuff. Anyway, I appreciate that. <laughs> I just want to be better safe than sorry. I guess is my motto. Yeah. Are Are you in this area? I'm in Lytle. I'm okay. actually on well water, uh, okay. which I use okay. now, uh, but I want to just, you know, if I can save some of the water or reuse it, I'd rather do that. You know, um, if you if you want uh, a good source of some information that I know is extremely good, uh, I serve on the groundwater district up in Kendall County, which is the Cow Creek Groundwater Conservation District. The acronym there is CCGCD. Go to ccgcd.org. That's our website, and on there you'll see a reference to a little manual we put together a while back called Water, Yours, Mine, and Ours. Uh, you can download that or you can just look at it on the website. About the last 10 pages of that manual are all about rainwater catchment written by John Kite, who's sort of the godfather of rainwater catchment in this part of the country. But it won't cost you a penny to look at that, but you will learn a whole lot reading and looking at John's diagrams back there. So when you have an opportunity, go to ccgcd.org, uh, click on that uh, little booklet that says Water, Yours, Mine, and Ours, and there's a lot of free information in there that's very appropriate uh, to our part of the country. Okay, I will do that. I won't remember all those letters, but I will remember Cow Creek. So well, I'll find it. You know, Cow Creek Groundwater. In fact, if you Google Cow Creek, I'm sure that uh, Cow Creek Groundwater Conservation District will come up. And if you forget them, call me back and I'll repeat them for you. All right. Hey, I appreciate your help as always. Thank you. My pleasure, James. Thank you, sir. All right. Let's see. Next up is Jay. Good morning, Jay. Hello, Mr. Bob. How are you today? I'm I'm doing fantastic for as old as I am. Uh, <laughs> got a couple of questions for you. Okay. Uh, I've got some uh, several different kinds of peppers, and mm-hmm. one of them that I was uh, not concerned with, but wanted to get some knowledge on. Uh, and mm-hmm. I've been trying to find this information for the last couple of years. Is chilpequin and chilipetin? Uh-huh. They, they uh, if you look at all the experts on the on the net, on the on the web, you'll find uh, that they crisscross each other. In other words, one of them will say, "This is the right, this is it, this is chilipequin," and this is, it. and the other, the next guy will go the opposite way. It seems like nobody seems to know. Well, in my my experience, uh, the only difference at all is in the shape of the little pepper. One of them's a little bit more elongated, and you know, the other one might be a little bit bigger. But the growth is the same, the use is the same, the heat is the same, the taste is the same. So I I, I wouldn't worry too much about whether it's chili patine or chili pekin because basically they're just the the same pepper. 
Now, there are a lot of things you can do with them. My friend Cappy Lawton is one of the best chefs and restaurateurs that I've ever known. One thing he does with them is uh, he smokes them on the grill and then uses them in a lot of his recipes and things like that. But other people use them for salsa. Other people with a little bit stronger tongue than mine, they just eat them as they are. But uh, they're wonderful, wonderful little peppers. Some people call them bird peppers because that's how they get spread around. You know, birds don't taste heat, so they can eat the hottest pepper in the world and not even know what they're eating. But uh, they're they're great things uh, regardless of what you do with them. Great. Well, so it's basically the same one, just maybe a slightly – they're like cousins is what you're saying. Oh, absolutely, yeah. In fact, they right. they're, they're, might, even, might even be brother and sister. <laughs> Who knows? They're pretty close. Yeah. Well, let, 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 still pertain to peppers, uh, I got a hold of some seeds that came from San Luis Potosí, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> I planted them, and they grew up, the plants grew up to be about, God, over five foot tall. And when they started producing, they produced some beautiful peppers, uh, about an inch, uh, a little over an inch long, but uh-huh. a quarter to three eighths wide, and uh, delicious taste, kind of kind of similar to the Pekins there. And uh, <clears throat> but these were again a little bit larger, mm-hmm. and um, they all froze. Uh, first of all, I've never seen a plant, a pepper plant. It grew straight up like a like a uh-huh. pine tree. Yeah. And it was over five foot tall, and uh, I've never seen a plant grow like that. One, two, it they all froze back, mm-hmm. and in February they all they all died. Yeah. The only thing I have left is a few seeds, uh-huh. and I'm trying to <clears throat> propagate these, and uh, I'm a little concerned since I don't have very many of them. Sure, sure. The I think I heard you say one time to soak them in garret juice before you plant them. Actually, uh, the commercial guys find that germinating pepper seeds, and pepper seed can be hard to germinate, and garret juice, you might try a couple of them in garret juice, but what the professionals do is uh, they soak them in a dilute solution of potassium nitrate, saltpeter. And right. for whatever reason, that seems to get you almost 100% germination. I believe they put about a tablespoon of saltpeter in a quart of water. And uh, the soak is pretty brief, like 10 or 15 minutes. And But um, that's that has become the industry standard for germinating pepper seed. Now, the chili pekin, chili patin, those are unusual in that they are the only peppers that I have ever seen that freeze down and come back out. Virtually every, well, every other pepper that I know of, uh, freezes and dies in the winter months. And that's why, if you wanted to, if we had talked about this, you know, last year, I would have told you you could take some cuttings from them and grow more plants from cuttings, and that way uh, you wouldn't have to go through the seed germination I germinating tried that. Process. It didn't work for me. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, in any event, it's not unusual that it froze and died. There are some upright, tall-growing peppers, poblanos, for the ones that I grow regularly in my garden, and they get five, six feet tall. But uh, it's hard to say, since this came from a seed, it's... There's just, excuse me, there's just no telling exactly what kind of pepper it is, but it sure sounds like it's worth growing. So uh, I do your I do your seed soak, and uh, hopefully you get some plants. And 
I, I, when they were growing, because I, I, I don't know the name of them. I don't know yep. what they are. I just know that I liked them. <clears throat> and I, a couple of times uh, <clears throat> I thought about taking you one of the plants or taking you some peppers to see if you could identify them or uh, maybe you could grow them for yourself, you know. Uh, and uh, but uh, with all this, you know, lockdowns and stuff like that, I never got out there. <laughs> and uh, but I'm over that. I'm 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 through with that. So that's a different story, though. Well, uh, if this if this turns out to be a really good pepper, I might even put you in touch with uh, a friend that has a seed company <clears throat> called David's Garden Seed. He's an ex marine. We always think positively about all our. All their military Absolutely. friends here around Veterans Day, but uh, he packages all sorts of seed in small containers. You might share some with him, and he'll get it out to a wider audience. And um, he's the guy that might be a, a good source to try to figure out what it is. Now, if it's an what we call an open pollinated pepper, the seed will probably come back pretty close to what the parent was. If this plant was in a bunch in with a bunch of different kinds of peppers. You may get some variation, and let's say you get you've got twenty seeds and all of them germinate and grow for you. I go ahead and grow out all twenty plants and then choose the one that is best to your liking. Save seed from that. It's what Malcolm Beck used to talk to us about, which is just every like year saving the best uh, of the best. Selective breeding, sort of. Yeah. What what was this guy's name? David. Yeah. Well, Google David's garden seed sometime. He's a great David. guy, and he's got about a thousand different kinds of seed. But he's here in San Antonio, and uh, he might very well be able to give you a better idea of what kind of pepper it is, because that may be a little difficult to determine. And uh, he might be interested in getting a few of your seeds sometime to share with a bigger audience. Oh, I, 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 I would glad to share with anybody as far as that goes. Yeah, he, Listen, you know, really he's a, a good guy. He, uh, he, most of his business is mail order, even though he has a, a small store here. But at one point this past spring, he, you know, he was telling me where can I find some help? I think he said he sent out like twenty five thousand packages of seed in less than a week at one point. Um, oh so he knows God. his seed and he knows his plants, but he would be a fun person to talk to about it because uh, I think I'd he's love pretty. To give him something uh, uh, so that he could spread them out a little further, you know. And um, uh, I, I think that you have one of the best programs uh, that to help regular people, and uh, I appreciate you being on the radio. Well, I appreciate you calling and always happy to help any way we can. So uh, good luck with it, Jay. And, you know, you can even you can even name it. If it turns out to be something unique, it can be, uh, well, you can come up with the name, you know, Jay's oh, Jubilee I, Pepper or whatever. No, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, most importantly, you get out there and have a good Sunday, and uh, let me know how it works out for you. I look forward to hearing. I'm fixing to go have some stuffed bell pepper right now. I can't imagine anything much better than maybe a good stuffed poblano, which uh, won't be able to do it today, but maybe one day a little bit later this week, maybe down at La Fonde on Main. You're making me hungry just talking about good peppers. So uh, pleasure visiting with you. You get out and have a great day. You too. appreciate it. Bye. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. All right, uh, Judy and Reese, let me uh, get a break out of the way here. You guys will be up next. I get to talk about Green Grow Organics and Sam Sitterly. You know, there's so many different reasons that people call Sam for a little bit of help in their landscapes. Um, 
a lot of folks just want to be sure that their landscape is totally safe for their kids, their grandkids, their pets. One thing about Sam, everything he's done for the past 30 years has been 100% organic. He knows plants. He knows how to really increase the quality of your landscape. Uh, it starts with you know improving the quality of your soil. You simply get better plants and fewer problems. And Sam will help you with some of the things. He is probably the biggest expert in the area on compost tea. And compost tea can be used to really enhance your soil and to correct a number of different problems. But Sam does this. Uh, he does... Uh, he does some fertilizer application and things like that, 100% organic. But his main business is consulting and helping you. And I tell you what, once you get your landscape in good shape, it's a whole lot easier to maintain that way. Go to his website, which is Green Grow, spelled out G-R-O-W, Green Grow Organics, and take a look at the services he provides. Take a look at the beautiful lawns. If you think it's for you, a lot of folks, you know, set him up to come out on a regular basis to consult with them. Some people want to do just a one time consultation and take it from there. Sometimes uh, there are things that Sam will actually be happy, he and his crew will be happy to help you with. Be sure you understand all charges and everything up front, but uh, it's just rare does a day go by that uh, somebody in the nursery is not bragging about how beautiful their yard is since they've started working with Sam Sitterly and Green Grow Organics. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Judy and Reese and Robert. Uh, good morning, Judy. Hi, Bob. How are you? Off to a good start. How about you? Yeah. Uh, I think I've got a lot of hard work ahead of me. I want mm. to make two new flower beds. Well, one flower bed, one for spring vegetables. But okay. it's Bermuda grass. Oh, boy. I know. I hate it. <laughs> so what do I do? Just pull out as much as I can? You know, at this time more. of year, yeah, at this time of year, that's about all you can do. I wish we'd talk back in July or August because you would have been able at that time of year to solarize it, put the plastic over the top and, you know, wet it down, put the plastic down and uh, let it heat up in the sun. It would kill out all the Bermuda grass, but sun's not hot enough to do that now. So uh, uh, that's about your only option unless you were going to create a big raised bed, in which case you could... Uh, you know, put down some plastic or something or other to smother the Bermuda grass, but then you'd have to put at least two feet of soil on top of it to really have enough soil to grow a good garden. So uh, this time of year, just digging everything you can and being prepared to follow up when some of it sprouts back is about the only option we have. Yeah, constant work. <laughs> well, it well. keeps you from having to join a health club. <laughs> gets me out of the house anyway <laughs> that's that's what we tell new employees here at the nursery you know uh you get a free sauna you get a free workout and you don't even have to join a health club and you get paid for that's doing right. it i mean what could be better than that <laughs> okay now um can i plant uh wildflower seeds in, yes it's time in to do it like 18 inch pots will you that can? work or do they need to be in the ground you know, it's easier to maintain them in the ground, but there's nothing wrong with planting them in pots. Uh, this is certainly the time of year to get it done, you know, too. I think many people, because um, you get 
well, you, you get so much variation in growth habit and things like that. I think many people, if they were going to grow them in pots, they wouldn't do a mix in a pot. They'd maybe do one pot of California poppies, one pot of blue bonnets, uh, one right. pot of uh, larkspur. I, that might look a little bit better than just having a hodgepodge uh, in each pot, but uh, nothing at all wrong uh, with a big pot like an 18-inch pot. You can certainly grow wildflowers in a pot like that. Okay, and the last thing is um, where can I put hydrangeas that will make it? My Hydrangeas want to grow in a shady area. They want to grow in fairly rich soil where you've worked a lot of compost into it, and they want to be where they can get copious water. You're going to have to water your hydrangeas more than anything else in the landscape. But shade, good soil, and plenty of water, uh, you can grow just about any kind of hydrangea. Now, if you want the hardiest one, even though they aren't quite as showy in the flowers, there's a group of hydrangeas we call the oak leaf hydrangeas. They're not quite as picky about soil, but uh, same rules apply. But the oak leaf hydrangea is not quite such a water hog. So, uh, you might want to take a look at oak leaf hydrangeas if you want some a little easier to maintain. If you want to grow the big, beautiful pink ones and white ones, blues don't do very well yeah. here, but pinks and whites do, uh, then it's just good shade, good soil, and copious moisture. Okay, so it would be, it would get some afternoon sun filtered through a big tree. That'd that be would fine. be okay. That would be just awesome. fine. Thank you so much, and if you need some work, come on up here and dig some computer with me. As <laughs> soon as I get caught up on everything I'm going to be doing, I'll, I'll be there, Judy. But uh, you I'm have not going to hold my breath. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll be a while. <laughs> oh, very good. i tell you what, I'm going to do my last break of the show so I know exactly how much time we have for Reason Roberts and uh, Robert. So I get to talk to you about Dr. Mark Williamson. And once again, I just love talking about good people. You know, there's so many people out there in the world that we just don't have much use for these days. Let me tell you, if you want to know a great man and a great dentist, you need to get to know Dr. Mark. He's just one of the, he's, he's a classically trained dentist, oral surgeon, a guy who knows so much about every aspect of dentistry. So many de dentists these days, they, they just want to send you out to a specialist when you need anything beyond just a cleaning or a filling. Now, Dr. Williamson, he can take care of just about any oral health issue you have right there in his offices, and that's going to save you time, save you money, and he's a guy you can have complete confidence in. He's probably one of the best trained dentists I have ever known, and the staff is wonderful. The setting is wonderful. It's a very, very friendly place, and you're not going to get rushed through. He's a very patient man. He wants to get to know you and your family. He wants to be sure that you have absolutely the best and oral health. It's just a totally different dental experience than uh, you'll find it just about anywhere else. Dr. Williamson is just uh, he, he's just the most competent dentist out there and one of the nicest people you will ever meet. And I'm not sure what more you're looking for in a dentist. A guy that can solve all your problems in a very non-judgmental atmosphere because let's face it, lots of folks uh, have uh, neglected their oral health and uh, the only important thing is just getting you back in good oral health because that'll add years to your life. If you'd like to learn more, just give his office a call, 341-2569, area code 210, of course. Office is out there, uh, right, oh, it's kind of on uh, Cherry Ridge, just northwest part of San Antonio, just a few blocks off Loop 410. So it's easy to find, and I can pretty much guarantee it'll be the most pleasant dental experience you've ever had with Dr. Mark Williamson and Associates. Mm -hmm. 
South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, we'll finish the show up with Rees and Robert. And Rees, you're up first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. I have do, you know that, do you know that you have your own fan club? You have such a beautiful, recognizable voice. And I've had three or four people ask me in the past two or three weeks, said, we haven't heard Rees in a while. I, I hope she's doing well. So it was a real pleasure to see your name come up this morning. But thank you again, Bob. I'm really flattered. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, my first question is, I was browsing through your newsletter, uh-huh. and I came across the Freeze Miser. Yes. You know, you have highly recommended it. I have three faucets outdoors. Do I need a Freeze Miser for each faucet? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Oh. You you put the, my, the Freeze Miser on the faucet and turn the water on, and then just walk away from it. And it just sits there, no water comes out, unless Mm -hmm. the temperature inside the hydrant doesn't have anything to do with air temperature, but if the actual water temperature inside the hydrant gets to 37 degrees, there is a change takes place inside of the freeze miser, and it starts dripping some water through. And then as soon as the water warms up, as soon as the weather warms up, it stops dripping, so it doesn't waste any an inordinate amount of water, you can put them on once in the fall, and they'll take care of you throughout the winter months. What an excellent technology. Huh? <laughs> it's just amazing. I'd, I've met the two gentlemen who invented it. They live over just south of Seguin, and it's it's just one of those clever things I've ever seen. It's uh, no wires, no batteries. It involves some uh, just a little bit of engineering and a uh, material inside that changes its uh, consistency when according to the temperature. And uh, it's it's just clever as can be. And people who used them last year, we've had people buy you know a dozen or fifteen. Or a guy earlier this week, I think, took eighteen of them because he said, "I've got a hunting cabin and I've." got a lot of friends I'm going to give these things to for Christmas presents, so uh, I I think you'll be very pleased with the technology. Oh, that will be an excellent idea to give as a Christmas present. Yes, ma'am. Okay, my other question is, you know, I like to conserve water. So we are trying to take off, we took off a lot of grass and we had somebody come and make an edging around the shade trees. It looks beautiful. And I'm Uh using that as a flower bed. Okay. A larger area I had, excuse me, I had planted some variegated ginger, okay. but then we had the live oaks trimmed, and now this variegated ginger, it gets a lot of sunlight, and it's not uh-huh. doing well. So I was wondering if there is any tool available on the market that will help me dig around the variegated ginger so I can pull it up easily without damaging the roots. Oh, you know, the ginger will actually take a fair amount of sun, so if you like it where it is, it's probably okay. Um, the, if, if I were going to try to dig it up, the only tool that I would really recommend would be a garden hose. And I would just wash as much of the soil away as I could so that I could get my fingers down around those little underground rhizomes and just kind of pull it up because you're going to encounter a lot of roots, you know, around that tree and and there's not much of anything that you could dig with without cutting the roots and some of the roots are going to be very major and would be very hard and not a good idea to cut
cut through. So I would just put, you know, kind of a pressure nozzle on the end of the hose, and I would just wash away as much soil as I could, and then I think you'll be able to grasp the lower part of the plant and just kind of separate it out. You wind up cutting some roots, but that's not going to hurt it at all. But that, that in lieu of any special kind of shovel or anything, as I'm afraid, that that's how I would go about doing it. Okay, and I would like to fill up these areas with a lot of green shrubs, you know. I have some uh, dwarf yupon hollies and Japanese boxwood, and I saw one of my neighbors. They have cordelin glauco. Mm-hmm. Shall I spell the name for you, Bob? It's C-O-R-D-Y-L-I-N-E. Correct. Yep. Does this plant take any sun? It uh, would like morning sun and afternoon shade, but it's not very cold-hardy. So I'm not sure that I would choose that. I would look, Reese, there's some beautiful, uh, there's a variegated flax lily that looks something like your variegated ginger and is very pretty. There is holly fern, which is totally cold hardy and evergreen. Aspidistra or cast iron plant is very happy in the shade. Um, Mm -hmm. There are, you know, several different actual perennials that will grow there. Two or three different salvias that do well in the shade. Uh, Columbine, they're a world of plants. Uh, when you're by the nursery sometime, we actually have a whole list of plants that will grow in an area like that and be happy to give make you a, a copy. Because I need to pick up some of those freeze miser. You know? yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, be sure and ask for a free copy of our uh, plant for the shade garden, and uh, oh. we'll look forward to helping you. Exactly, that's what I'll do. Thank you so much. So nice talking to you. It is my pleasure. It's good to talk to you, Reese. Yes. Thank you. And we'll finish up the show with Robert, about three minutes. Robert, how can I help you today? Well, my neighbor is going to be putting in um, the Raleigh grass. And I wouldn't suggest it, but okay. I know. And we've gone over this before. And our our front yards, they, they join. And uh-huh. so the guys came in yesterday, and they were um, they used their weed whackers to, you know, uh, get rid of the of the grass down to the, about the dirt. Uh-huh. So in other words, our, our I was planning on in the spring to put in um, either the Del Mar or Palmetto. Yes, sir. Now, where they come together, what's what's going to happen in that intersection there? Well, it's you're not you're. There's going to be a very slight difference in appearance. It won't be. You know, it it won't be any noticeable or objectionable thing. My objection to Raleigh is that uh, it's just much more susceptible to brown patch. Uh, It's a slightly taller growing grass. Palmetto and Del Mar are both a little bit more compact growers. But they're going to kind of blend together, and they are more resistant to brown patch. So even if his Raleigh gets brown patch, it's not likely to spread to your grass. So uh, I just think it shows that you... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that you're a little smarter than he is because you're choosing a better variety of grass. But uh, uh, the the difference is going to be negligible in appearance. But uh, uh, like I say, Raleigh's just so much more to uh, susceptible to brown patch. And there may come a year when he's got big brown blotches in his part of the St. Augustine and yours is green and beautiful. But uh, maybe that will be an instructive thing for him. But I, I really don't see any long problem, long-term problems with this. Okay, 